Talking about miracles, I'll just share one experience that I had. Or when I first met him, like my mind was literally going crazy. In that trip, in those ten days, when I met when I met Guruji, um, he gave me this necklace. This was the this was the very first thing Guruji ever gave me. Um, and then he said, uh, "You can't eat meat anymore." <laughs> yeah, you are tosi. Don't eat meat. Yeah. <laughs> it's so horrific what we're doing to animals, and nobody would look at any of those videos. And say, oh, this is fine. I'm totally fine with supporting this. Yeah, I think the social media has had a big role in this because I remember mm-hmm. back in the day when in my teenage years, there wasn't such accessible distribution of, of things, of content, of information yeah, yeah. like this. The animal agricultural industry and the meat industry, there's a lot of money there. Animals don't even have the right to live. We draw the lines at, at different animals. We would never do that to dogs. And so it was really only after I met Guruji that that my existing vegetarianism became rock solid. I would mm-hmm. say the considerations that he brought forward, the things he made me think about, and prim- you know, primary amongst those was just um, the life of another being. Jay Gurudev, Rishi Samvananda. Jay Gurudev, Swamiji. How are you doing? I'm very good. How are you? I'm good. I'm very happy to have you on the podcast. Very happy to be here. I hope it's, uh, as I say with everybody, the first of many conversations. Um, Today we have uh, a topic that I think Guruji has um, for quite a while cared quite deeply about and that he's asked us as his devotees to to speak on it and to to share with people. And we're going to talk about um, vegetarianism, veganism, the entire sort of domain. But before we get there, I think it'd be cool to to speak a little bit about you and your, your life, how you got here. Um, the Sambhava that I know has been here now for good few years now we're talking nine nine years almost yeah, i was gonna say exactly yeah nine years um and you've been predominantly working in in media in broadcasting video different areas of that of that kind and so um but let's get to know a little bit some of it before you got here um so fill in the blanks for me please yeah so i guess we'll go with the semi-longer version mm-hmm. of my story my path um yeah, so I was I grew up on Vancouver Island, Canada, and uh, was raised Christian, and never really felt it. You know, my my mom always said to me, "You have to go to church until you're 16 years old, and then when you're 16, then you can choose if you want to keep going to church or not." And um, when I was 16, uh, I essentially chose to not <laughs> anymore <laughs> shocker uh, we actually had a uh, a youth pastor yeah and he would come to my high school every week and some me and a few of my friends he would bring us you basically bribe us with pizza and then show <laughs> us videos and read the bible with us and stuff like that and um so i kind of because of that influence i kind of i got you know more interested in asking him questions and generally he just wasn't giving me answers that were satisfying those questions and so for a time in my life um you know because of that influence i actually really turned in the in the opposite direction especially when at least for me when i was that age and maybe also you 16 17 and 18 it was very much uh, uh a war between my my mother and i and so whatever she was wanting me to do or whatever my, you know, 
situation had been up. She was telling me, oh, you should go to church. I want you to be this or that or whatever. Uh, and just in general, you're just, it was a very yeah, rebellious yeah. time in my life. And so people were saying, hey, check out this, you know, this Christianity and Jesus and all this stuff. And I actually just went in the opposite direction. And for a time in my life, I was a very devout atheist. Um, and I would argue with my mom. I would have debates with my mom. And I was just completely atheist. Um, and then I realized eventually that it was less so that I was an atheist, but that I was more just, yeah, really against, you know, I was going against my, my upbringing. <clears throat> Is it fair to say it was more of a rebellious atheism than a rational exactly. atheism, yeah. so to speak? It, it, it was, it, it was, it was a, it was an atheism against the Christianity that I understood at the time. Right, right. That, that's exactly what it was, right? Fair enough. I didn't know anything else. So I thought this is this flavor of religion and flavor of Christianity. I'm against that. Yeah. And for various reasons. Mm -hmm. One of them being because my mom, you know, was that. Was for it. And I wanted to be against her in every <laughs> right. in any capacity. So right, right. um but yeah, it took me a while and I was really into atheism for a while. And uh but then I just I realized that I just felt that there was something it, it wasn't satisfying, you know, I, I just, I had a feeling that there was just something else, you know, there's something that's, that's mysterious about this, this existence, this universe, this life. And I feel that there's something deeper. There's something under the surface that I, that I'm, that I feel is there. Um, and so, yeah, that, that was, that was my life for a while. I still wasn't into the whole church thing or into any of this Christianity stuff that I had been raised on. Um, but uh, so eventually one day I was, um, my parents were divorced. So my dad lived in the United States, my mom in Canada, and I was visiting my my dad and my stepmom at the time. And um, I think I must've been 17, 17 or 18, I think 17. And so I'm there visiting my my dad and my my stepmom and my stepmom and my dad were very much more let's say es more esoteric, more open, more spiritual. I used to do sweat lodges with my dad in in Canada and Vancouver Island where I'm from. There's a lot of Native American influence, and um, so I did things like that with him and and was was cool, was interesting, was different, was was very different, right? And so they're very they're kind of more open and esoteric. And so one day I'm there visiting. And my stepmom says to me, um, I'm going to uh, Om chanting this evening. I go every week, you know, every Wednesday, there's uh, Om chanting. And uh, would you like to join me? And you know, I'm 17 at the time, and I'm there visiting my dad, my stepmom. You know, none of my friends are around, anything like that, but I'm, I'm okay, what's that? And she says, oh, it's this thing that you, you know, you sit in a circle, there's two circles, one facing in, one facing out, and you just chant Om for 45 minutes. And as a 17-year-old guy, I'm like, I said to her, okay, I'll, I'll think about it, sure. And immediately, I'm like, come on, like, that sounds so... Boring. Cringy, <laughs> boring, <laughs> awkward, like, it's just going to be a bunch of, you know, middle-aged women <laughs> uh, sitting in a circle chanting, oh, and I'm like, you know, I'm some cool 17-year-old kid, so, like, come on. I just, to be polite, I said, okay, sure. Um, and then I just thought about it, and I was like, yeah, I'll think about it, and then... I thought about it throughout the day and I said, oh, well, I'm not doing anything else. Like, 
there's nothing, you know, my friends aren't here. I'm just here. Like, I'm literally not doing anything else. So, like, wh- why not? You know, wh- whatever. Why not? And so, uh, yeah, for whatever reason, I decided to say, I said, okay, yeah, sure, let's let's do it. And, um, and so we went to one uh, couple's house. And, yeah, just the whole experience was... I would say pretty life changing to be honest and it just really wasn't what I expected actually the people were super friendly super nice there were some young people there there were there were people my age and they were just super cool and open and just gave me a completely yeah this different perspective and they were just telling me like incredible things and you know they were they vaguely told me about their their guru and I think that's the first time that I ever saw a picture of, you know, Paramahamsa Vishwananda. And they were telling me that they're, they're a guru. And I just, I really liked the experience as well, the practice itself and everything. It was just a great, it was just genuinely a, a really nice experience. Um, and I was intrigued, you know, I was very much intrigued. And they were telling me about their guru and telling me different things um, about this man and how incredible he was. And um, I was like, wow, okay. That's really not what I what I expected. Right. Can we can we do it again? Can we go again? And they were telling me, ah, you know, we were Admakriya Yoga teachers. Uh, Admakriya Yoga is this type of meditation uh, that we teach that you can learn. Do you want to learn that? I wanted to learn that. We went the next week there, and then uh, you know, I, I, at the time I didn't have the money to to pay for the course. But then I was like, okay, I really want to save up the money and take the course. And then by that point, I um. I went, uh, you know, I, I had to go back to Canada. And then later when I was back in Washington, I ended up taking the course. And uh, then it was like, ah, there's there there's one monk coming from Germany because this guy, Paramahamsa Vishwananda, he has an ashram in Germany. Uh, and there's, there's a monk coming from Germany who's going to uh, visit and he's going to do courses with it. I said, oh, that's awesome. I really want to meet this guy. And I genuinely had an idea where I think a lot of uh, people in the West would have an idea. What, what is a monk? What is it? What do you think when you, when you think Hindu monk? And of course, I thought, okay, well, he's a very elderly Indian man who is very, you know, his eyes are always half open and he is very... <laughs> Equanami, uh, what's the word? Equanimous. Yeah, equanimous. Yeah. Like he's very uh, level-headed. He's never appears to be angry. He never appears to be this or that. You know, you just think of a long hair, shaved head. Yeah, lo- long, long beard. hair, no long beard. beard. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> wearing robes, wearing a shawl, and da da And of course, to my surprise, uh, the monk that I met that came was at the time he was a rishi. Now he's a swami. Is Swami Tulsidas. So he's this small, <laughs> white uh, guy who's close to my age. Uh, he did have a beard. He, he did, did have the beard. Beard long But uh, from Wisconsin, right? right. And, it, and so my whole expectation, my whole perception of what it meant to be a Hindu monk. Shattered. Shattered, yeah. <laughs> and man, I just, I just absolutely fell in love with this guy, man. Like he was so, so sweet. And if I say that the, the, the first Om chanting changed my life it did it changed my life to a degree meeting Swami Tulsidas really changed my life pretty drastically to be honest because it was just something else you know it was like 
I mean, I was in high school at the time. Right. This was, yeah, I think I was either still 17 or just 18. I was in high school at the time still, like, and this guy was just like on another vibration. You know, he was just on a, like, there was a joy in him and, uh, and, uh, he, he, like, he had found something. You know, he, he knew something that I didn't know. And, um, and he was so open and accepting. You know, at the time I was doing lots of drugs. I was experimenting with psychedelics. I was smoking a lot of marijuana. I was smoking a lot of weed. And um, one of the things that I appreciated so much about him is that he just, he never told me, oh, don't do that. You know, I feel like so often it would be like, you know, especially in the Christian faith, that's just bad. Don't do that. You shouldn't do that. That's a sin or whatever it is, you know, any of this kind of judgment. And if he had been like that, I would have been so, because that's, especially at that age, mm-hmm. that's what everybody's telling you. You can't do this. You can't do that. Right. And he just didn't do that at all. And so he initiated me into Atma Kriya Yoga. So I'd gone back there and learned Atma Kriya Yoga and he was the one who initiated me. And then, you know, I was just asking it like, uh, can I, and he said, yeah, just, he's like, yeah, like, you can smoke. I'm not, you know, I'm not going to tell you that you you can't smoke. You can do whatever you want. Just don't do it when you practice because it's different, you know, and all these things. It was he was just like so chill and sweet and nice. And yeah, I just completely fell in love with him. And I mean, you, <laughs> yeah. Even at the time, I had a girlfriend at the time, and I remember going back after that trip because he was there for I don't know maybe a week or something, right. and we just did many Om chantings. He gave. He gave lectures. He told about his guru again. Uh, Paramahamsa Vishwanandi was telling us all these amazing stories about him, his time living at this ashram in Germany. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember going back to Canada after this trip and like, like my girlfriend was literally like, you've changed. Like, who are you? Because I was like, I was like, man, there's more to this <laughs> world. You know, there's more to this like life. Like, and she was like, I thought, you know, I thought you wanted to become a chef. I was, I, I was like going into cooking school, ironically, given what we're going to talk about. But yeah, <laughs> um, I was, uh, yeah, I was in, I was, I was going down that avenue of my life. And she had, she was like, this is who I got in a relationship with, but you're not that person anymore. And so shortly after that, it was just like, yeah, this isn't going to work. Like, sure, I'm sure, not, sure. I, it makes sense. I'm a, I, 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 like I said, I, he genuinely really changed my perspective on life. And so, yeah, the, um, the point that I haven't mentioned about all of this is that, is that, that, that initial conversation that I had with my stepmom, do you want to come to Noam chanting? We were very much kind of hand in hand in this whole process and kind of going along. She also fell in love with, with Swami Tulsidas and we were really kind of partners in this and it was really like yeah we were really doing this spirituality thing together and my dad was always present he didn't come to the first home chanting uh that and he just, he wasn't involved i mean she was she had been going previously also before her right. and i went together and he was just never really involved like i said he was he was a very spiritual person he was a very spiritual person very open very loving very accepting of all people you know if there's one thing that i learned from my dad or one of the many things I learned from my dad, he was just always, no matter who it was, he was always trying to make people laugh or like have a connection with people. So he was very open, very spiritual, but for whatever reason, 
he was like he was just kind of keeping his distance it wasn't that he was against it at all and eventually he did come to some own chanting and stuff like this but uh, he didn't you know he was just doing his own sure, thing sure. And, and um he he didn't want to he didn't learn atmakriya yoga and he was just was just there supporting but wasn't diving into it as as uh, as much as my stepmom and I I got a question though mm-hmm. like because like characterizing your dad in that way you said your mom was was you know uh, a strong influence in your early life going to the church all the time and stuff mm. did you ever feel any influence from him up until you were 16 and had to make that decision about keep going to church and not like did he ever encourage the church stuff or, or promote some other options or oh yeah was your no, mom sort of, you know he wasn't he wasn't a christian at all yeah we we would do he was um he was like a life coach uh, i mean he was he was many things mostly predominantly a pilot okay. uh when my sister was born, he sold his airplane and and didn't end up getting another airplane that he owned um, until yeah until I was like eighteen. Um, but he loved flying more than anything else. But um, yeah, he was a life coach, and so yeah, he was very uh, he was very open and had like just generally a very what's the word maybe progressive relationship that 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 as a father with with children you know and so we would do yeah kind of spiritual native american yeah, sweat lodges type of things sweat lodges but yeah, yeah but also just like just kind of connecting and like talking to each other we i remember we would have kind of family meetings or and just th- there was a lot of open communication let's say and it was it was spiritually tinted let's say to some degree, if, no, if, but if on the religious sense. level he just left it to your mom to sort of handle yeah, that yeah, for, yeah 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 all right cool yeah. yeah yeah um yeah and so yeah so he yeah he wasn't he wasn't christian to to any degree but he was he yeah he definitely had uh, a strong connection with the with the native american stuff like he did sweat lodges he did various things i think he also did um you know, you go out in the forest for a time and you connect with different whatever, whatever. And he had different spirit animals and things that were given to him. And he, yeah, the, these right. kinds of things. Sure. Yeah. Um, actually, uh, um, uh, one relevant being uh, a blue heron, which is a very beautiful kind of fishing bird that's mm-hmm. predominant on the west coast of Canada, um, which is important. That we'll come back. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. So one of his, one of his, like, like the animal that I associate the most with my dad is a is a blue heron. Um, and also because he loved to fly more than anything. So it's a bird. He also liked to fish. So <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, um, yeah. And so, so yeah. Anyway, um, he, yeah, he he was never. He just kind of kept his distance from this stuff, but it was always super cool and supportive. And then one day. Uh, by this point I'm 18 I really need to like get clearly in my head the timeline of all this because I tell this story so much but the timeline is always like when did I meet Swami Tulsidas anyway I'm, I'm, I'm 18 by this point and um, uh, in, my, in my last year of high school right and one day I think my, my stepmom texts me and says this is really strange all of a sudden um, your dad he just goes to her one day and he says uh, can I learn Kriya Yoga? And she's like, okay. Like it's been like months and months and months. Like, well, like what, what's this urgency? And he's like, oh, can I, I want to learn Kriya Yoga like now, like 
there was an urgency. He's like, I want to learn it as soon as possible. And she's like, what? Like, where is this coming from? There were so many opportunities before this, but now all of a sudden you have this urgency. Um, And so, okay, uh, you know, the the person who taught me, um, you know, there's some scheduling things, like they need enough people to make a course. And it was, was it going to happen? Was it not going to happen? Uh, she was also flying to like London. Okay, there's some logistical things, but it ends up happening. They get enough people, and it ends up happening. And um, uh, so he takes that. He takes the course, and um, it's a three day course, right? And yeah, on the on the third day, there's some interesting stories also there from the from the woman who taught me, and also my father. Um, on the third day, he he emails me. Uh, he actually, by by this point, I said he sold his airplane when my sister was born, but he had just bought uh, like an ultralight airplane fairly recently. And that's like the first time that he's had, that he's owned an airplane in like 18 years or longer, actually. Yeah. Um, 20, over 20 years, actually. And so he had been kind of working with that. It's like a very small kind of cheap airplane. They didn't have a lot of money, right? Um, and actually I was like, I'm, the only person that uh, has ever that ever went flying with him in that in that airplane and so yeah so he he sent me an email and he said i was initiated into admikriya yoga today yippee for me love dad and that was the last email that was the last thing that uh, that he ever sent to me so that day on the last day that he was initiated admikriya yoga he kept his airplane at a at a friend's hangar which i went there because I went, I went flying with him before in this airplane. And so he was keeping it at a friend's hangar. So there was a runway, which is a grass runway. It's kind of just in the middle of farmland. And his friend kind of had a farm. And um, and uh, the the crazy thing is, is we know this as well because some days before he was figuring out a mounting system so that he could record his flights. And so his last flight is all recorded. And so... On the day that he was initiated in Kriya Yoga, in the evening, he went flying. It was June 6th. Uh, he goes flying. He lands perfectly, which is a big thing. If you're a pilot, you know the landing is like the most difficult and the most, uh, let's say you get the most credit if it's like just a perfect landing. And so he lands perfectly. And the whole thing is just recorded. He lands perfectly. He goes to push the aircraft into the hangar all still recording. So you see him pushing the aircraft in the hangar. Then he closes the hangar door. The hangar door slowly closes. It fades to black. And then the video ends. Then he didn't come home that night. And um, so my stepmom, okay, he's he's not he's not home. What's going on? She calls she calls the the friend. Um his his car is still in the driveway. He goes to the hangar and he finds my dad uh, on the floor of the hangar, and he appears that he's had a heart attack. My stepmom drives over there. Paramedics are called, etc., etc. He's passed away. The interesting thing is that the paramedics said to my stepmom that they've they've seen you know a lot of people that have that have died from heart attacks, but they've he looks serene. The word that the wording that they used was he looks serene, and my stepmom says that his his eyes were looking up and towards his third eye. And so, yeah, 
that was the that's the that was the situation okay um the next morning of course i, I at, the, at the time i don't know any i don't know any of this right i'm just in canada right. living my life 18 years old um the next morning i wake up to my mom coming down the stairs from her room to my room crying and she tells me your dad is gone and i mean if if you know you know <laughs> if you've had somebody so close in your life it's just it's a, it's such a shocking thing to wrap your head around right the day before everything's normal your parents are still alive your dad is alive and then the next day he's just gone suddenly you know right. and um and so it was it was incredibly difficult for me um however there were so many circumstances around his death and afterwards that were it, it was so obvious i mean even just what i've told you i mean literally the last thing he said me, I, I was initiated at makriya yoga like one week before he's like i need to learn at makriya yoga now like what's going on here it, it's quite it was quite obvious that the circumstances were not quote-unquote normal mm -hmm. you know and what the paramedics said on all of these things and then when we you know when we went when we went to washington for the service and all this stuff i was just seeing blue herons everywhere i mean they, they were literally circling his house three of them just flying around the house and then we went to lunch and the lunch was like on the by the coast and they're just blue herons like just everywhere it was just it was absurd and it was just like him just being like i'm here i'm good um that being said uh yeah it was incredibly incredibly difficult i remember even yeah well and, and also i'm i'm not one to kind of openly share my emotions with other right. people so a lot of this stuff i just dealt by myself you know and there's like a lot of guilt you know my dad was always trying really hard to to have a relationship with me really hard you know i'm 16 17 18 right right, right. i don't want to i'm avoiding my mom i'm avoiding just doing my thing with my friends all this stuff anyway it was incredibly difficult but it was still very obvious that yeah, the circumstances of his, of his death were divinely orchestrated that was just plainly obvious to me um but it was very difficult <laughs> no, and um and so, yeah, I, you know, at the time I ended up seeing another girl and I ended up kind of like, you know, because I wasn't, I didn't know how to deal with my emotions. I didn't know how to reach out to people for help or anything. Like what I did is I turned to drugs to uh, numb, right? Yeah. Because when you're just alone with yourself in your situation, and the fact that, you know, again, it's it's such a, it's kind of like, it's kind of like running a computer code, you know, where your your life is going in this certain way, and then something it just hits a an error, like of the mind, where it's like this person no longer exists. Like, how do I? How can you process this? And so, how I dealt with the situation is I 
ended up doing a lot of drugs and just trying to avoid and distract myself and kind of moved away from spirituality to some degree um and so yeah so life continued um like i was said i was seeing this girl and i kind of by that point i had had dropped out of uh culinary school I was like, oh, I actually really don't want to do this. <laughs> I mean, even at the time, I, I didn't, even when I picked, I decided, I was like, I kind of like cooking. I said, like, okay, it's just something to do. And then I was like, oh, actually, this sucks. <laughs> it's actually <laughs> terrible. It's a very intense industry. Yeah. Um, and so I was kind of like a bit aimless, you know. I was working at one place and da, 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 and I was kind of saving money. And then my mom said to me, oh, why don't you go traveling? And I had graduated high school. I think my dad, yeah, my dad died before I graduated high school. And um, I said, yeah, go go traveling. You have you have family, you know, near Toronto, and you have family in Chicago. And at the time, I said, uh, yeah, actually, you know what? I like being creative, and I like I like um, you know movies and cinematography things. I I think I want to be a I think I want to be a cinematographer. And I just so happened to have an uncle who's a producer. And so he's in that world completely. Um, and so, yeah, the plan for me was to, in the summer, was to go to Toronto area and then down to Chicago and spend time with my uncle and kind of learn the ropes from him. And so in that time, um, my stepmom, you know, sent me an email and said, hey, we're going to, uh, all the Americans are going to go to uh Germany for Thanksgiving for for American Thanksgiving because Canadian Thanksgiving is different and there's no German Thanksgiving so yeah yeah yeah, yeah. like okay yeah, yeah. it's a bit weird but okay uh you know do you want to come and uh I said initially yes and then I was like traveling for like four and a half close to five months I said you know what actually eventually I said you know what actually um I'm not going to go because I've just been traveling. Like my plan is to go back to Vancouver and see if I can get an intern job or start working at a, at a camera rental place, essentially like not like consumer camera rental place, but like for Hollywood movies, like big time camera rental place. Okay. That was my plan essentially. Um, during my trip also, I, 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 we, me and my girlfriend at the time, we couldn't make it work. Although, so we we ended up breaking up like long distance we couldn't whatever um okay so we broke up uh i'm saying i'm not going to go to germany i'm just going to go back home and figure my life out basically um after i said i'm not going to go to germany for thanksgiving um i get another message oh uh actually you know paramahamsa vishwananda has just decided that he's going to open a temple in washington and I was like, oh, okay. So he's going to open a temple in Bellingham, Washington, which is where or very near where my stepmom and my dad are from. And my stepmom is still there. So I've been there many times. He's, he's literally going there. So I was like, okay, well, then that's actually just super easy. Instead of just flying directly back to Vancouver Island, um, I'll just go to Bellingham, you know, check check the situation out. Like I said, I'd kind of somehow moved away from my spirituality to some degree but i said oh, yeah I want, you know i want to meet this guy i've heard about him i know about him 
um and he's just it's just so easy right, right. <laughs> i mean it'd be really weird not to go at yeah, that point it's right? just it's just uh i'll go and visit my stepmom and uh and meet this guy and um and yeah so after this whole trip chicago na 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 um yeah i fly to i fly back to to washington state bellingham and uh, i'm there like maybe just a couple days before he arrives and you know then again you uh, you have a perception you have an idea of what a guru is like to somebody who has zero understanding of of what that is right. um and <laughs> yeah <laughs> it, it, it was a funny juxtaposition because in 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 chicago i was with my uncle right and my aunts and my cousins uh three of my cousins who at the time were 16 14 and 5 so a 16 year old girl a 14-year-old girl and a five-year-old boy, and then me also in the mix. And it was just like chaos, you know? Like if, you, if you've, like, you're just in this family situation all of a sudden, and, you know, being a 16-year-old girl is can be tough. Being a 14-year-old girl can be tough. Like, it was just insanity, right? Just right. like a lot of yelling, a lot of <laughs> drama, a lot of emotions for like two and a half months I was there. And then all of a sudden I flew to, to Bellingham and it was like, it was like all very shanti shanti and it was just completely like so different than what I had just experienced for two and a half months. I was like, Bleh. and so, yeah, I, rem I remember being at the airport. Okay. So he's arriving, Guruji's arriving at like 10 or 11 at night. I remember being at the airport and I, you know, I'm just kind of there. Like I, I feel kind of just out of place. Like <laughs> there's all these people that, that, that are there for him, you know, like his devotees. Yeah. They're, yeah, they're yeah. really there for him. And they're like, obviously so excited to see him it's not very often that guruji comes all this all this way you know he's based in germany like the west coast of north america is, is a long is very far away um and they're all there for him and i just kind of feel like i just happen to be there I, like this is just kind of a stop on my way you know back home and i'm 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 you know i'm really like look like this is i'm moving this this trajectory of like i'm going to become a a cinematographer i'm gonna no no no, no. This, this is this is my state Set of mind plans. yeah this, this is where i am right right, right. <laughs> so you're kind of there just standing by the side yeah. hands in the pocket and, sort of vibe, exactly like, and yeah. uh and then you know and then they're all singing not i and <laughs> they're all singing like in an airport i'm like where am i what is going on like uh, genuinely kind Who of things at airports yeah kind of genuinely being like you know taking a step back like i'm not with these people <laughs> this is crazy uh, I'm like, but okay, like, let's go. Let, like, sure, like, and uh, yeah, and then and then he and then he walks out, and yeah, again, just like the whole concept of what is a what is a Hindu guru? What is that? What is it again? Similar thing, right? Monk and guru, uh, big beard, da, 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 da. and he was just like immediately like, oh, he's he's actually just super friendly, and like, you know, because w when he arrives, also people are like, they're you know they like stop breathing a little bit and they're all like wide eyed and everything. And he's kind of like, like, so like we get his luggage and everybody's just kind of standing. And he's like, should we, we're going to go like, you know, <laughs> and he's just kind of like breaking the ice and everything and just right. like being super you know, kind of down to earth and, and friendly and charismatic. And, um, my God. Yeah. I just, I mean, you know, the Om chanting was life changing. Meeting Swami Tulsidas was life was life changing. It was another degree of life changing. I mean, meeting Guruji, meeting Paramahansa Vishwananda was like life 
shatteringly, uh, like completely insane, right? Um, and you know, I come from like my knowledge at the time of Hinduism was like zero, essentially zero, like right. almost almost literally essentially zero. Like if you if if you would ask me back then, like oh what what is Hinduism? I'm like um, yeah, I think you know they people have like a red dot on their forehead and. I think there's like a, a guy that has like an elephant head and maybe like a, you know, another guy that has a, like a serpent around his neck or like a you guy. You never saw them when you were doing your psychedelics? You <laughs> oh, you like man. a vision? Yeah. Come on, man. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but probably I did, to be honest. <laughs> like just, you know, that hippie imagery. Right, but um, right. no, no, no visions, unfortunately. Um, but literally that, that was probably, you know, I could say, oh yeah, like there's a, you know, there's a character in the Simpsons that's, that's, that's Indian, right? He's like Hindu. Like th that was literally like my, <laughs> my, yeah, Apu, Apu. <laughs> that was my, that was my, the extent of my knowledge of Hinduism. And so, yeah, so I was just, man, I was just in this situation and it was like, I think he was there for 10 days or so. And it was just like it, October 27th, I think is the first day that I met him um, in the airport. And yeah, so, okay. So breaking it down a little bit because it's it's important uh, hour by hour. So he arrives late, right? And, um, and I'm like, okay, but like, it's like 1130 or something at the time. I'm like, okay, well, we're, we're all just going to go to bed, right? Like, and it's like, oh, no, no, we're, we're going to go and eat dinner now. I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> you know, li little did I know that that's that could be quite normal for Guruji, especially if he's traveling, right? Yeah. And it was like, what? And I was like, okay, we're going to go eat dinner now. It's like midnight. And then, yeah, then we're, we're back at this, uh, this devotee's house. And, you know, I mean, in, yeah, the whole situation is, just, is so funny to look back on. I mean, even in the airport, he kind of came up to me and said, oh, like, what's your name? And made like a little small talk with me and... Again, I feel like an imp I'm out of place, right? Like there's all these people who know him, who are there for him. And I'm just like some dude that's just come from Chicago and has been there for two and a half months. And um, yeah, we, we go to this house and we have dinner. He asks me to sit at the table. And I'm, I'm also just less so now, I would say, but in general, even still now, I'm a very kind of shy, like I don't like to be more of an introvert, right? Yeah, for sure. I don't like to be in the in the spotlight or anything like that. He sits me at the table. He sits me next to him. And then he asks me to sing. <laughs> what? Yeah. He asks <laughs> me to sing and, you know, all of this stuff. And then but also just observing people around him and how he is and and um man, it was so crazy. It was so crazy. I mean, there yeah, there there's there's so many stories from that trip. But he was there to inaugurate a temple as well, right? So the, there's these beautiful, you know, from my perspective at the time you know i was like it's, it was such a beautiful like these, these statues um these mortis uh lakshminadai and of course at the time i didn't know whatever but they're they're very beautiful um and then there's this whole ritual process of of inaugurating a temple right and i remember just being like man like all of my senses are like it, the the smells the feelings all, all this stuff is visually it, it's 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 so beautiful the incense smells amazing like the prashad the food that they're offering is, it tastes so good but so i'm getting i'm getting ahead of myself i forgot <laughs> so okay so we're sitting there i don't know okay the, the, the night that he arrives and then dinner finishes and he and he tells me to come over to him and and he's sitting at the at the table and he tells me to or i 
kneel down next to him and he's like again making a little small talk about where you're from this and that okay and there's like 20 or 30 people just buzzing around right at the time and um he's like we'll we'll talk later we'll talk later and i'm like okay like at the at the time i was like he's just being friendly you know he's just uh because there's literally 30 people here that would 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 love to like that, but that, it made that, more uh, sense for him to talk yeah, to, or, or that, that that he could give their attention to, or that are you know mm-hmm. all this stuff. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm like okay, he's he's not. It's just a, it's just it's not a serious. It's just a, a friendly way of saying see you around. <laughs> um, but then I don't know how much later, half an hour later, or whatever. He tells everybody to go because the the temple. That was being inaugurated was a, was a separate like a garage that had been that had been converted into a temple. He told everybody to go out there and do kirtan, and then all of a sudden, it's just him and I in the house. And I remember he he takes me and sits me down on the couch, and he just looks at me, and he says, "Tell me or ask me what do you want to ask me." And immediately I think of my dad. I want to ask about my dad if this man you know is something right special does he if he has powers powers if he can whatever you know which his devotees i'm I'm being told that he is different different i want to know and of course and admikri yoga i mean the the thing that my dad like he was initiated the day that he died comes from guruji comes from this man and so but i'm very shy and i say oh i don't know I don't know what I want to ask you. Like uh, I don't know, and he's and he looked at me again, really like deeply in the eyes, and was like, "Come on, ask me, ask me what you want to ask me." And I just said, "How's my dad?" And he kind of looked off and did his thing. If you know him, he's looking at something, checking something in the cosmos, let's say, mm-hmm. and um, he kind of smiles and looks back at me, and he just says, "He's good." You don't have to worry about it. And to people just hearing that, it might not sound like much. Of course. But I'm telling you that in that moment, there wasn't a shred of doubt in my mind that he wasn't telling the truth, which I'd never experienced before with another human being, if that makes sense. There's always, you know, Human beings are always presenting themselves in a certain way. I, you know, I, I, I present myself in a certain way when I'm with my grandmother, for example. I present myself in a certain way when I'm with my friends. You know, we have the, all these different masks and mm-hmm. things, right? Mm-hmm. But with with Guruji, he just he. I, I don't perceive that in him, and it's not even that there's even a question. It's just when he said that, I just knew that it was true. And so we sat and then we we talked a little bit more, asked him some other questions and had a very nice conversation with him. And that was the beginning of, that was the first night that I met Guruji. Um, and I mean, th- those 10 days were like just unreal, just, just crazy. I mean, when you go from one, well, I don't know what you, one chapter of your life, one way of life and then all of a sudden you're just in front of uh, a person that is just like nothing you've ever 
experienced before. You know, the the effect that he can have on people, the love that he that he shows to people. And some of the stories, like especially from that those first ten days were just insane. And I, I often feel with Guruji that it's like he has this ability to simultaneously make you feel as home as you could possibly feel and as comfortable and like that you let go and you put down your masks and you're just your authentic self and at the same time paradoxically as uncomfortable and provoked <laughs> and, and sort of being taken out of your comfort zone yeah. as you possibly could be but at the same yeah, time it's, like, it's, it's such agree. a weird feeling because you feel like there is yeah this feeling of being home and at the same time like but there's a part of me that recognizes that it's like I'm home, but I'm not home in the right way mm. somehow. And he's showing me that, like that there's stuff to work on and there's stuff yeah, to yeah. solve. And actually, it was amazing. It was very interesting, uh, also because I remember when I first met him, like m- my mind was literally going crazy. That's what I mean. <laughs> I was having, which never happened before. It just showed me. It kind of just showed me, like, oh, you're not in control of this thing, like. I was having like trains of thoughts and thoughts that were so, let's say, quote unquote, dark or like so hectic and insane, like in his presence. I was like, what is going on? Like, this is so crazy. Yeah. Um, and at the same time, there's just like a zero judgment from him as well, you know? Um, True. Yeah. I mean, I think I think I often say to people, sorry to interrupt there, but that those, those dark thoughts, for example, I often feel like it's like when you're in his presence, your carpet gets pulled up. Yeah. And then all that stuff that's been you've been putting under your carpet gets exposed. But the thing about the no judgment is that they ask me sometimes, oh, what's the biggest miracle you've seen him do? And I'm like, mm. well, you know, I can tell you some stories. It's mm. not like in terms of straight up miracles as people expect them to be materializations and mm-hmm. stuff like this. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, for sure, I can tell you some crazy stuff. But really, honestly, the biggest miracle I see in him is that he consistently shows me and others how much he knows me. He knows my thoughts and my emotions and whatever else. And he loves me anyway. Like he believes in me anyway, yeah. invests in me anyway, and doesn't really judge me beyond trying to correct me and, and help me become a better version of myself. And I wouldn't really call that judgment. Like him pointing out a, a fault of mine, but then being the same person that's ready to stand by me and help me solve that fault, I don't take that as judgment, right? No. Um, and I just tell them like, and if you stop and think, you'll, you'll, you'll agree with me. You have to agree with me. Because name me one person in your life that you would be comfortable knowing that they have full access to your thoughts and emotions at all times like they know what you're thinking and that you would feel confident that that would not alter your relationship one bit that they would continue to love you and like you and be with you in the exact same way that they are right now I mean I, I'm yet to find one person that can confidently look me in the eyes and say oh yeah yeah I've got a bunch of those like yeah, fact is zero one of the most beautiful things that you know I've learned from Gurji is that man he will never ever give up on anybody he never gives up on anybody true, true. he bluffs that he will sometimes and I oh think, for sure yeah <laughs> and it's just like this feeling of that, that he does like you need he to does. realize that there is stuff to 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 get done and you can't just sit and do nothing but the fact of the matter is, is that at the end of the day he never leaves anybody you're right yeah the, the, the yeah the only thing is is that well I mean this is also a, a, a level of of love as well is that if somebody wants to leave then he will of course, respect that. Sure, you know? sure, sure, sure. So I would say he will never turn his back on you. But if you turn your back on him, he will let you do that. 
and keep his door open. Yeah, <laughs> and that's yeah. the thing. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and that's that. I've got stories for that as well. But uh, so, we digress. You were yeah. ten days with him. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So yeah, so just uh, you know, talking about miracles, I'll just share one experience that I had. I mean, th- th- this was this was the first. Okay, so so he went there. He was going to inaugurate a temple. There were there was a satsang scheduled. Um, and he decided kind of impromptu, ah, let me give a darshan as well. And so he gave a satsang and then he just had decided to give a, a darshan. And so this was my first darshan. Um, yeah, I have no idea what that is exactly, but it just looks like he, you know, again, from my perspective at the time, he's just, he just sits and you know, there's a queue and you kind of go up to him and he stares at you for a few moments. Okay. Uh, but the whole time there's there's nice kirtan. I remember also just like loving the 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 kirtan at the time. It was like so nice, and um, yeah, I, w- I was the designated photographer <laughs> because I just bought it. You know, because I was st- I just bought a camera in, in Chicago to like go and just start making videos and start making movies. And man, I wanted to be a cinematographer, so I just bought a camera. I was like, okay, you're you're the photographer. So I was kind of running around the whole time taking photos and. Yeah, I mean, it, it's just such an intense experience. It was just such an incredibly intense experience. The the atmosphere of the place was intense. You know, I'd never heard music like that before, which I thought was so nice. And the situation was so alien to me. And um, again, at the time, I'm and still, I'm quite shy and awkward or whatever. And and so I was kind of avoiding, like, nervous. I was just, just, just straight up nervous to 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 take his darshan to have to go through this experience um, for whatever reason. I mean, I think many people feel like that, and that the situation, yeah, it was it was intense. Um, and so eventually, one guy just would just like grab me, and he was like, "Okay, it's like it's your time now." Actually, it was um culprit, Somi Tulsi Das's father, yeah. yeah. Uh, also, super nice guy. Have was yeah one of the one of the first was my neighbor here at the ashram for some years. Mm. Uh, he was in the room next door to me. Love that guy. Yeah, what a character. <laughs> and so yeah, so he was like, okay, like I think he kind of was like, look, this guy's he's kind of I'm just like, oh, I'm just taking photos, like never queuing, na na na. And he was like, yeah, no, it's your turn now. And it was like, I really was like, I can remember it so well. It was like slow motion, like grabbing me and pulling me. And then I was standing in front of him and he looked at me and um, it's hard to describe exactly. It's incredibly hard to describe. It's impossible to describe exactly. Um, but his face changed and it, it, it didn't change completely. It was still him, but different. <laughs> It's how, how I can kind of explain it, but it, it it was it was insane. You had a vision uh, of sorts, but his I had face a vision. changed. He he gave me a vision. Okay, this was my yeah. first darshan. He gave me a vision. Mm-hmm. So his face changed, and it was and somehow I just, given the small amount of knowledge that I had at the time, it changed, and I said, "Oh, that's the divine mother." Then it changed again to another person, and I said, "Oh, that's Mahavatar Babaji." And then it changed again. And the last one was the most brilliant, let's say. It's kind of like, uh, you know, on a hot day when there's like, I don't know what you call it, like those uh, 
radiation coming off of the pavement like you can see yeah, yeah, yeah. the whatever it's called yeah, yeah. I know what was mean. like that kind of coming i mean his face was different but it was also like radiant, radiant. yeah but not bright that, that i can like recall no not a glow it was just like somehow there was <laughs> fair enough fair enough <laughs> there's it was just, obviously going to be limitations so yeah, there's no problem that, that that's the kind of the best thing to describe but it, it was yeah it, it, there was a radiance mm -hmm. but it wasn't like light sure, so to speak sure. or maybe there was some light there sure. but it, it, not that I can recall and I said oh I think that's Vishnu or maybe it's Krishna I'm not sure but a masculine figure and yeah, yeah. and it was like I mean to, to this day it's it's just one of the most it's one of it's the one of the most insane experiences i've ever one of the most insane things i've ever experienced right and i've done lsd <laughs> <laughs> right, i've done right. much of I was gonna ask, did you do it on that day for <laughs> no <laughs> of course no i hadn't done it yeah, for yeah. months even i'd been traveling right, right, right for months i hadn't even smoked you know weed uh in like four and a half months or whatever. It's going to be passing through people's heads when they listen to this. Yeah, so yeah. That guy said he was doing psychedelics. Yeah, now yeah, he's telling yeah. me he's seeing, you know, shape shifting going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Radiance, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know. Yeah, <laughs> just at that specific moment. No, yeah. I get you. Yeah, no, it, was, it was absolutely insane. Um, and, and, uh, <laughs> and, and so that, that, that's what I thought Darshan was. <laughs> that was my first Darshan. You go, you go ask everyone else, hey, so which, which faces did you see? Yeah, I, yeah. I saw three of them. <laughs> that was absolutely insane. And so, you know, the thing about Guruji also is just, just like, you know, he's just like, he didn't come to me. It was like, so like, how was that experience? Like, he just, he's so cool. Like, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. he's just nonchalant. It's matter of fact. Yeah. yeah, it's just like, it was like, he didn't even bring it up with me. But it's his nature. I mean, yeah. This 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 stuff is hard to to navigate because we're obviously inside a bubble here in a context of like us having known him and experienced these things and heard this to such an extent mm. that it's like the most public secret that we know, mm. right? Like Guruji's divinity, his his extraordinary nature is something that for us we're so accustomed to to some extent, and it, sometimes I you know you forget just how wild this can sound to somebody mm -hmm. who's completely out of this bubble, right? And they hear something like this and they're just like what do I do with this? Like, mm -hmm. and the tendency is just to dismiss, like, oh, these guys are deluded, making mm -hmm. up or whatever. Um, and that's why a lot of what I've been doing also in this channel, like conversations that I've had by the time we publish this, I'll already have had a conversation with Myron where we're tackling this whole thing about Guruji's divinity. And it's not a, it's not an easy topic, but at the same time, how can I run away from the topic? Like, how mm. can we deny like something like that? You go for a darshan, you're completely outside of any Hindu context or bias. Mm -hmm. um, and then you're just seeing those very specific things and, and experiencing those very specific things. And I just feel like those are the, the stories, those are the, ex the experiences that for me are the building blocks of the life we have and the, and the, the faith we have, the, the morality that we pursue. Everything that we do is somehow built on these undeniable experiences that transcend all forms of organized religion and, and philosophy and um, normality, if that makes sense. Mm. And it's, it's, that's why I'm, I'm glad you're sharing this. Uh, it's not something that I know we can do justice to, but at the same time, it's like, please understand this is why we are who we are. It's because of things like this. It's, it's yeah, undeniable. Yeah. I've, I've actually, you know, very few people know that, that story actually because there is something also about sharing these kinds of things can diminish it to some degree. It does. You know? I, and, and I'm, I, I, sorry to interrupt again, but 
doing this podcast has completely made me aware of that even more because I'd already been aware for a while because I'm you know I'm speaking for now I'm nearing on the the, the completion of my my 15 years like doing public lectures and you may think like every experience I've ever had has been shared by this point and it's like the actu- actually I, I keep a couple of, couple of them back like I mm. hold them back because I feel like every time I expose these things to the world which are very dear to me inevitably they're going to get stained by people's mm. judgments and opinions and whatever else and nowhere is that more apparent than social media the internet mm. YouTube comment sections or whatever it may be you know what I mean and so I completely understand where you're coming from and there is that that tension almost of like yeah I want to share this because it's beautiful and I don't want to hide my light under my bed yeah but at the same time yeah I, I think um, I think I think it's also just it's important because people can make up their own minds right like do you do you think I'm nuts or not you know easy and, to say over the internet they'll, they'll look at you like yeah sure, sure. that's fine absolutely that's fine <laughs> but I, I absolutely understand your argument and I've, I've used that before with people where I'm like just get to know me then if, if you feel like you can't get to get to know Guruji or whatever just get to know me and make your own mind up because I remember actually also during that trip so after this you know some days following this I remember even um, Guruji you know did a video call do you remember this I <laughs> he made a video call you know, with the, I was waiting where that was going to fit in the timeline. I was like, I remember having a FaceTime yeah. call with you guys, but and um, yeah, having a video call with like the you know the the boys back in Germany, and you know I think you were there, Pankaj was there. I don't remember. Maybe maybe Aniruda? maybe, maybe yeah, maybe Aniruda, maybe yeah, maybe Jada so. also perhaps. Um, and uh, yeah, there uh, it was important also because I remember, you know. I was around a lot of American devotees, but I wasn't around a lot of people that really had spent a lot of time with them, right? And and people that, you know, I mean, look, also like this path and just spirituality in general, like it can attract a lot of <laughs> ungrounded people, let's say, right? And I remember specifically, I really remember that 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 video call with you because he was like, oh yeah, like here are some, you know, some of the the monks that that live back in Germany, and I was like talking. I was like, "Oh, these guys are incredibly normal. <laughs> <laughs> like they're just like they're you know they're they're around my age. Um, they they're all they all seem very intelligent. They're all well spoken. Like they don't seem ungrounded at all. Um, and that that wasn't very important also for me to to see. Uh, sure, sure. And in, in, in general, like I'm. I'm I'm very, very skeptical by nature, right? And, you know, and and was very skeptical of Guruji. Also, even even after having that vision, you know, uh, I think a couple days after that, he materialized a ring for me. And at the moment, I was like completely blown away because also he just did it and then I think he just did it and then like just to see my reaction. So he didn't like, he just did it and then was like, just like kind of just one on his phone or whatever and i was like what the hell what just <laughs> happened and then okay then then i have this ring and i'm like i'm like processing what the hell just happened and then then eventually you just go i mean you're like wow that's amazing and eventually you go okay well it's just a sleight of hand trick right sure of course of course but sleeves pockets yeah yeah uh because okay that's the logical explanation mm-hmm. the thing is is that <laughs> most plausible 
after being with him for nine years, I can say without a shadow of a doubt, like I, I'm, I've been very close to him, right? Like more than majority of people. Person. Yeah, Absolutely. the average person. He is. He's. It's not a slight of entry. No, it's not. <laughs> you know? I, I, I'm always with, with this stuff. I don't spend much energy on it because I'm like it, it's so trivial to the ultimate goal mm. of what he's trying to do with us but if we're going to address it i think it's two very simple takes for me it's it's very clearly not a trick because of just the innumerable times that i've been exposed to it in ways that would completely remove that possibility and as well as you and everybody else but i'm completely cool with anyone thinking it is because at first glance for sure that would be the most plausible explanation for it and so no no harsh judgments or anything it's like yeah just wait until yeah you no, ever I, get I, to see something different and, i'm just saying for me as a very skeptical person, I can no oh, longer yeah, yeah, I can yeah. no longer hold that belief because the evidences are just completely overwhelming. That's it. Skepticism can only be, can only hold for as long as there is uh, no overwhelming evidence to counter it. And, and and also by by hearing you know talking to other devotees you know especially like that 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 video call and just in general like getting a sense of the people that really follow him and have known him for a long time and the miracles and things that he's done it's like there's just so much evidence that it's like I mean, you just for me like i can't yep, yep you can't yep. hold on to that skepticism yep. um yeah and so just to kind of yeah conclude this long story of my journey of how i ended up here um in washington on that that, that trip guruji invited me he said well, why don't you come to germany and uh, why don't you come to India with me for Holi? Um, and I was like, awesome, okay. Uh, so I was in Washington, right? <laughs> I mean, ended up going back to Canada. And I mean, it was just like, you know, my, my my life was going in one direction. I was going to go back, uh, get a, try and get a job doing this in the industry. Um, and then it was just like, completely 180 like okay i think i'm gonna go to germany but actually after after i had um after we'd he had gone back to germany i go back to canada uh the girlfriend that i had had um i basically i wanted to get back together with her because the breakup was much more let's say serious from her side than it was for mine and i remember there was literally uh, a point where I said to my mom, I said, if she will get back together with me, then I'm not going to go to Germany. And if I can't make it work, then I'll go. Which is uh, insane to think about now, right? That I, sure. of course, I didn't tell her that, like that wouldn't be fair to her, but but that I just put like so much like weight on, on, that. on this, on just that, yeah. on her decision. Yeah. And um, it didn't work out, and I left. And that, you know, I've, I've since then I've been living in Germany the last nine years. And I mean, yeah, that's uh, that, that's a whole nother yeah. episode. Like, what happened? How did you become a monk? And yeah. everything that happened before that. Also, I should say I'd, I'd never been out of North America before. Right. So I'd only been to the United States, and of course, I grew up in Canada. So I'd never been out of North America before, and then. Yeah, in the last nine years, man, I've been all over the world, all over the place. It's true. I mean, like Germany is more of a base, but it's like from mm -hmm. here, we've, we've, you know, gone everywhere with Guruji and, and spreading the mission and yeah. Well, okay. 
thank you very much for sharing. Yeah. That was beautiful, and, and I think it's really, really that was important. the very long that was the very long version. I've told parts of this story many many times, but and yet it's really short as well. Because if we're yeah. being honest, like we're, oh, we're yeah. skipping over so many Absolutely. things, and I think it's really important to share those things, man. I think listening to it, for even from my perspective, I'm still sort of makes me think things, and, and you know what I mean. It's it's really I think sharing sharing authentically is is everything. Um, yeah, I think it's really important. You know. Agreed. Agreed. I've one of the things that I've consistently heard from people throughout my years of sharing is is you know, Swami, I appreciate how honest you are. Um, sometimes to my detriment, right? And I just think, well, yeah, I, I don't understand how we can do this successfully any other way. Like if I don't expose um my thoughts and motivations, but even my my worst sides, let's put it like this then I'm not, I'm not transmitting something mm. that's authentic and honest to you and you're going to build your your ideas and your life on the basis of something utterly false and and that's that's not healthy like you know I often say there's there's the deluded disciple that wants to see the the garden of roses everywhere and they're not willing to face the truth and face the music but I think just as much responsibility if not more lies on the person that is instructing them and, and standing there preaching to them the, the gurus the the swamis of this world you've got to be honest to to your real level no matter how much that might get you less followers or get people to 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 think things about you and damage your reputation it doesn't matter because building up a false image of what you are and who you are and what it is to be a monk and mm. now i'm like this person that mm. all skepticism has left me and whatever actually uh, that's one of the things i appreciate about, appreciate about you um the most swami is you know having just listened to your satsangs and listen to you talk so many times uh yeah you're, you're super honest and real about your own struggles and th- i appreciate that so much because yeah i think i like exactly like you said especially being a being a swami being a monk yeah man it's 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 very helpful to hear like oh this guy he hasn't he's not he's not a saint he no, hasn't perfected it i'm not he's still struggling <laughs> You know, yeah. and you've always been super honest and, and yeah. open about that. It, yeah. It'd be easy to act holier than thou, and I think it would bring a lot of benefits. But I think it would—it's um, a bait and switch. And at the end of the day, it would—it would harm everyone, including me. So, thank you for sharing, Samva. Um, yeah, of course. Now let's segue this into into our topic. I well, think here, maybe I'll, 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 I'll do here. it for you because uh, <laughs> actually, here I'm—I'm I'm even wearing it. So that, um, yeah, in, in that trip, in those ten days when I met when I met Guruji. Um, at one of the days, he said, uh, "I think you." He, he said, ah, "Do you do you wear tools here?" Something like that. He gave me this necklace. This was the this was the very first thing Guruji ever gave me, right? Which is this mm-hmm. Tulsi necklace. And so he took it off of, of of his own neck and put it on me, and I've generally been wearing it ever since. It's very dear to me. It's literally the first thing he's ever given me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he said. Uh, you can't eat meat anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you were a tosi, you don't eat meat. Yeah. <laughs> I said, uh, okay, not really knowing why. Uh, but yeah, that's so this is the first thing he ever gave me. And when he gave it to me, he said, you you, 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 you can't eat meat anymore or you shouldn't eat meat, right. maybe. For, for those who don't know, tosi is, um, for us as Vaishnava, is a sacred, um, well, she's a deity, but mm-hmm. embodies herself as a sacred plant. Um, and so we as Vaishnavas wear 
um, necklaces made of her wood, let's say the beads um, around our neck, and we chant using Tosi beads and different things. So Tosi is very, very it's sacred, sacred yeah. and because she's a divinity and she represents devotion to to God. Like there is a, a level of, let's say she's the mother, and so there's respect there that once you wear Tosi, you don't eat her children mm. yeah, in a mm. very blunt way. But th- that's 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 the connection there. So there you go. I, m- I made the segue. That's the segue. Okay. <laughs> no, I think I think another thing is this. So as we become followers of Guruji and as we start to adopt the lifestyle and everything else, there's so many parts to it. And I think we've spoken now to the more sort of essential things like his person and what we feel and, and all of that. But there are lifestyle changes that eventually mm. happen. I mean, Tulsidas was incredibly accommodating of your lifestyle at that time. And that's correct. Mm-hmm. I, I agree with him. But as you get deeper into this and you start mm-hmm. to make life commitments and changes, there are behavioral changes that come with it. And one of them for us to make it clear what Bhakti Marga's stance is on what Guruji's stance is on vegetarianism and veganism is um, it's best to be vegan, although um, because of the the sacred status that the cow holds in Hinduism, and maybe we can touch on that a little bit as well, we are um, fully per- permitted to consume dairy products as long as we know where they're sourced from. Mm-hmm. And what that means is that they have to come from happy cows. And we define happy cows as cows that live a natural life and in no way are being bred or um, artificially inseminated exploited. or exploited in any way that mm-hmm. is not natural to their to their life processes for produce. So as they conduct their regular life, we will partake of the byproducts of that regular life, so mm-hmm. to speak, which of course makes it far less accessible, far more expensive, etc. So in the end, we end up mostly becoming vegan um, just because of how unethical the various industries are. Um, and we can we can dive into that, of course. So that's, that's the Bhakti Marga stance and Guruji's stance. It's not mandated veganism, and I want to make that clear. It's not once you become a devotee, you are ordered to become a vegan. It's not the language we use. It's more that um, being vegan is best. It's the ideal. So I, I often speak of it in these terms. As a Vaishnava, as a, as a monk, as a devotee, we have three categories of behavior. You have the ideal, the permissible, and the prohibited, right? And so we, it's, it's important to map out what the ideal is so that we know and we can, we can strive to get as close to that ideal as possible. That's just really sort of the sentiment. And so that may mean that we are 80% in the ideal zone, 20% in the permissible zone, as long as we are 0% in the prohibited zone, mm. right? And so the way to see it is that it's that um, veganism, dairy products are permissible within a certain context um no eggs or, or anything of that kind that doesn't that never that's that's in the prohibited zone so to speak so that's our stance that's what therefore we live by um and guruji has now for, for some time asked his devotees like look spread spread mm-hmm. vegetarianism spread veganism um it's important and i if i were to really understand intuitively why i think it's important to him to the degree that i think it's important to him Yes, there are you know environmental considerations. Yes, there are different considerations. But I think at the core of it, it's because by his nature, what he does is he cares. He cares for people, for us, for, for, for animals. He cares for all beings. And so he's not doing this as a crusade to care and protect for the animals exclusively. I do believe it's caring for the animals, but caring for us too, because there are a series of negative consequences to us by in consuming meat and, and participating in all those processes and industries, etc., and that's what I think we should unpack a little bit, like our reasons for being as we are beyond just the simple Guruji said so, mm-hmm. which 
by and large would probably be, be sufficient but just you know our journeys into that and some of the arguments and some of the the pushbacks perhaps that we've received um in different settings so i'll just kick it off from my end i became vegetarian before i met guruji the reason for it is because my mom was um quite a spiritual person and she became vegetarian um when i was maybe already 10 maybe i'm getting that wrong sorry mama like i don't know her timeline is as precise as i know mine um what i knew that what i knew is that i was resisting it for a while though despite her being vegetarian at the same you know at home i was continuing to eat meat and i you know respected her but i, I was doing my own thing but i understood how inconvenient it was becoming for her because every day she would cook uh, my meal where i would have meat and then cook a separate meal for herself and so she was almost having to cook twice right mm. And she was doing that out of, you know, care and affection for me, but it was clearly a headache, right? And I didn't like that. I mean, I felt like obviously my mom's, you know, busy and I love her and why would I want to burden her with extra stuff? And so I said to her, you know what? I'm, I'm cool to eat the vegetarian stuff. I mean, she's an amazing chef. She owned two restaurants and stuff. My mom oh, was really? a really good cook. Yeah. Um, bakery as well. So I was like, yeah, for sure, mom. Just I'll eat whatever the vegetarian stuff is. And then I just thought I'll eat meat when I'm out of the house, if I'm at friends or if I'm out at a restaurant or something like that, where it doesn't burden her, basically. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that was my position. So I became a circumstantial vegetarian. Mm -hmm. um, and I think as, as the years passed, maybe I was 14 already, 15, I just thought, I'm, I'm good with this, actually. I don't feel the need, the urge mm -hmm. to, to, to continue to eat meat. But it was never that strong ethical decision of like i i just have fundamental principles now that i'm not willing to break it was more just convenience good food i was it was easily accessible to me so why not mm. right why not um but i felt the cost of not having made a very firm decision based on principles mm. because i would often be tempted back into just a little you know meal here a little thing there out of convenience so i'll go to a friend's house forgot to tell them I'm vegetarian, the parents cook something, there's meat, and I'm just like, it's going to be really rude right now if I refuse this and I make a scene or whatever, especially since I didn't tell them in advance, so I'll just quietly eat it and, you know, we'll leave it at that. So stuff like that found, got me quickly breaking those 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 ideals, but it really was because it was it was built on convenience and circum, circumstance, not on some moral principles. And so it was really only after I met Guruji that, that my existing vegetarianism became rock solid, I would mm. say. Um, and that was because of the considerations that he brought forward, the things he made me think about. And prim you know, primary amongst those was just um, the life of another being that I was consuming and participating in, in the unnecessary killing um, of another being. And the key word was really unnecessary. And I know it may sound so trivial and like obviously people have thought about this before, but I hadn't. Honestly, even being a circumstantial vegetarian, I had never stopped to really think deeply, what am I doing here when I'm eating this this meat or whatever? And and so him just pointing out to me, look, it's not necessary and you are essentially killing another being um, or participating in the process that does that. Why? And I couldn't give him a good reason. You know, things popped in my head, it tastes really good. Mm. Um, it's convenient sometimes. But I, I felt so ashamed to say something like that in front of him, him already being what he means to us. Like he's a role model figure, my, my guru, my mentor. And he's sitting there asking me a question where I wasn't going to give him a cheap answer like that, where I knew it was a very uh, hypocritical and fragile thing to say. And so I said, honestly, well, no, there is no good reason. 
and and as I accepted that as being true, he just you know it's almost like a Socratic thing. Like he asks me the question so that I tell myself the answer, so that he tells me you shouldn't eat meat. It was like tell me tell me a good reason why you eat meat right and as i don't find a good reason within myself i almost tell myself that i don't have a good reason to eat meat and so that's the uh, in my opinion the healthiest way to get anyone to do anything it's mm. to show them that it's already what they believe they just haven't been willing to face it or whatever it may be like helps yeah. them reach their own conclusions and so that was it for me and that was a very simple process that was the end of it i never again you know uh, not only touched meat, but I never even had the desire for it, which I think is a sec- second step. One thing is refraining from the physical act. I think a second step is mentally, like just letting go of the attraction for it. And I think the more I, I understood what it really meant to eat meat in terms of the consequence to the life of these these creatures and everything else surrounding it, I just thought, no, I, I, I'm no longer attracted to this even conceptually, right? I'm, I'm, and it really, I can say to this day, it never once again has the desire for any of that or attraction for any of that come back into my life um what's your like let's say take yeah. on this what how did you become vegetarian beyond just the the, the necklace situation yeah. like what's your well, process um, with it yeah it's a very different situation than you um i was not vegetarian at all before i met guruji and then yeah essentially very quickly changed but also Again, you know, I'd just been living in the end, of course, at the ashram. There's there's no meat served. Um, and then so I was just living at the ashram and was eating meat. And I kind of slowly, um, again, because like you said, Guruji talks about it frequently and has talked about it frequently, um, got more and more interested in it. And then personally got more and more interested and then started doing my own research mm-hmm. and then kind of just got really passionate about it to some degree and um yeah it's uh it's it's very very clear for me uh now why i don't eat meat the reasons i don't eat meat um and i don't think there's i don't think there's a strong reason that one would eat meat except for necessity like you said right um but yeah uh i i think it's also it's also important to say, like, I think there's maybe in the vegetarian or vegan community, like, to avoid saying, oh, it actually tastes really good. No, I, I loved eating meat. I enjoyed the taste very much. But just because you enjoy something doesn't make it morally justifiable or or good. And so yeah, so I, I just I just kind of did more and more research. I mean, even even before I met Guruji, I remember I remember, you know, you'd kind of come across different videos online of cows or whatever it is in in, in slaughterhouses, and um, and I remember again that this is before meeting Guruji, but really just like specifically seeing those videos and immediately being like, wow, I don't want to see that. I, I, just to interject that I think the social media has had a big role in this because I remember mm. back in the day when in my teenage years there wasn't such accessible distribution of, of things of content of information yeah, yeah. like this and so to actually see these videos you'd have to go out of your way to really go and find them and I think now with you know with YouTube and social yeah. media the way it is it's just so much more accessible and it just comes to you and you see that yeah. stuff quite quite easily I mean I think people people also need to understand that the, the animal agricultural industry and the meat industry there's a lot of money there oh, and, yeah. and and there's a lot of especially now like they're 
you see different campaigns like going against, you know, they're, they're getting upset that people are calling, you know, almond milk milk. They're getting upset that people are calling uh, vegan things sausages. And I saw one interview the other day, there's a guy who's upset, why are you calling it sausage? Why are you calling it sausage at all? It's like, you know what I mean? So the, 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 there's a lot of propaganda from the meat, from the animal agricultural industry um, that's trying to suppress these uh, these things, right? Well, well I think the, the most lucrative industry in the world is the pleasure industry mm. in all the forms that it takes, be it sport, media, video, music, meat. Because Absolutely. if you start to understand meat as a... As Pharmaceuticals, a, my God, yeah. Well, if you start to understand meat as a as a preference for pleasure, mm. not a necessity for sustenance, let's say, as a broad statement, I know that there are, let's say, um, individual cases or particularities to that subtleties, but broadly speaking, then you understand immediately why it is as lucrative as it is. Because again, all that brings humans pleasure, it tends to be a very lucrative industry, mm. no matter mm. the, the, the domain and the form it takes, as I said. And in the Upanishads, there's a, a very clear concept between what we call Shreyas and Prayas, which means the good and the pleasurable, mm. the pleasant. Mm. And so there's a verse that says along the lines of um, a human can choose like the purpose that he derives from his life and then the path he takes. Uh, but he is always choosing between the good path and the pleasant path. Mm. But the good path mm. ends where you want to go. The pleasant path ends precisely mm. where you don't want to go. Mm. And ironically as it is, the good path ends in, in pleasure and the pleasure path ends in suffering. Right, right. right. And if to unpack that, we're not going to do it now, but that is at the core of the of the ethic and the issue, I feel. It, it's that the more you understand that the goodness um, is, it often involves immediate sacrifice, um, almost like a delayed gratification principle, right? And, and some things, like you said, it's so nice, it tastes so good, right? Mm. To give that up for, for what, you would say almost. Mm. And I think there you have to understand it oh, you give it up for a lot. There's a lot that you're losing by doing it and there's a lot you gain by not doing it. But it's more subtle than, than just immediate pleasure to the senses. What you gain is is uh, psychological benefits, ethical benefits, self-respect benefits, um, respect for all others' benefits. And that creates more beneficial and harmonious societies and communities and et cetera, et cetera. I mean, the benefits are quite long, but they're not so immediate. And the end result of what I believe that you become when you when you start to become more moral, more ethical, more considerate, more compassionate, in general is, I mean, it's the difference is so stark to the human psyche and the human person when you start to care about these things. And I'm not talking about just in, in the field of vegetarianism. When you in general in life start to care about self-sacrificing in favor of being good and right mm. and ethical and compassionate and, and correct in the sense of um, doing what is what is of greatest benefit to as many people as possible, even if that comes at self-sacrifice of your own pleasure in the short term. I think, um, yeah, I, again, to, to unpack that would be immense, but I think it's, it's at the core of, of the striving to be good human beings. Yeah, I am... Um... I think the 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 point that I, that I was trying to make about the the animal agricultural industry, the meat industry, is that is that there's a very um, obvious concerted effort, right, to to disassociate, right? Like you you go to the store, and it's very easy 
I mean, because it's uh, especially in the West, it's like it's it's just part of tradition. It's part of what we've always done. But there's this there's this very intentional, right? It's very intentional disconnect between a nicely little packaged thing of ground beef, you know, and you see the picture on the ground beef, and it's a nice cow and like a, a field, a beautiful with flowers and green sunshine. field, right? <laughs> that that's very intentional. And the thing is, is that you can now online just like i mean i i I can't even watch i can't even begin to watch these 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 videos anymore it's so horrific what we're doing to animals it's just like and nobody in my opinion that isn't like not you know isn't yet a psychopath would look at any of those videos and say oh this is fine i'm totally fine with supporting this i mean this is great like like it's 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 horrific man it's horrific like and most media's media's i know they say they don't even want to watch it they just prefer to pretend it's not true and and that's what i did as well right that that, before i met guruji before i was vegetarian before i moved to germany you don't even want to see it and you i'm not i'm not that's you know somehow you just justify it to yourself i'm not actually i'm not supporting that or there's this argument of ah, but you know, what if the you know, what if the chicken lives a really good life or whatever, whatever? It's like generally the slaughterhouses are the same, whether or not they come from a a nice place where they grew up and they had you know some some space or not, they still are sent to the same slaughterhouses. Um, I mean, I, I mean, I saw a video just kind of kind of in in preparation for this topic. Um, you know, they, they, they gas pigs and it's just like, you can see them suffering. It's not, there's arguments made like, oh, that will, how do we know that they really suffer or don't or whatever, whatever. It's like, for some reason, we, we draw the lines at at different animals. We would never do that to dogs. We understand that dogs have feelings and emotions and things in our culture. Yeah. Fair enough. But we can understand that. Like we can under, we can understand when a dog is scared, is in pain, is whatever, whatever, is is doing cute things. There's so many videos of the same for cows. Cows are cows are actually just like big dogs. <laughs> like, you know, I follow different accounts and things because I'm very passionate, passionate about that. Right, and there's right. like just so beautiful videos of cows literally snuggling up to people and licking people and all this stuff. And and it 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 becomes easy again when you know these things are just numbers you know like uh, we we kill this many animals i mean we, we're just was it like 56 billion i think per year land animals that we that, that are killed for mm-hmm. the for the uh, meat industry like can you even begin to comprehend that number like what amount of suffering that we're just putting into the world you can't even comprehend 56 billion but also how numb we are to it yeah like it, it, one thing is they're suffering the, the the thing that's almost more shocking is just how much there's apathy towards that from human beings like because because it's just a number right but but when you see you know there's videos like a, a cow will be trying to escape you know that jumps off the the truck on the on the way to the slaughterhouse and he's trying to run away and then we all care about the cow because oh we can see that 56 billion, that's actually 56 individual sentient beings that have emotions and feelings 
like dogs, like humans right. to some right. degree, right? You know, it's not just a number. It's horrific. Like when you actually think about well, those, sc- those individuals. Yeah, the, the scale is nuts. I mean, that that is beyond beyond any shadow of a doubt. The scale is insane. And I think it's all about a question of supply and demand. Like the more yeah. we demand, the more they have to increase the supply. Yeah. And so we are directly causing not only the, the killing, but the processes that speed up the killing, that make it more efficient, that make it more effective in terms of separating that which we want from that which we don't want. Um, I mean, for example, in, in you know, chickens giving birth so the male or female the male is far less interesting and you know in the so, egg industry yes. in the egg industry yep. in the dairy industry the same thing like, yeah the yeah. guys always get discriminated against in these industries yeah um and so they get you know killed off it yeah the immediately, ba- baby much. baby chicks are macerated within a few hours i think of being born right. because they're essentially useless in the egg industry i mean and there's videos of this they, i've seen again because they're just trying to meet uh, demand right yeah and it's like it, it's amazing also you know, having having looked into this stuff a lot the last several years and having had conversations with family members and people close to me or just people in general, the kind of justifications, gymnastics that, that, that people will do to try and, and justify. Um, because you can't, you know, it, it's, it, it takes a lot of humility, I think, and courage to some degree to be like, you know what? This isn't, this isn't in line with my with my morality, and actually, I don't uh, I don't want to support this in any means. Like right. you, there's videos of of chicks being put into grinders or just being put in trays into like little gas chambers, and just like thousands of them just being thrown in the garbage or just put it. Man, I I saw a post on Reddit several months ago where it's just like giant bags of, of chicks, just huge bags of chicks that are just left there. And then they, some of them, they, they'll, they'll die because they suffocate. They're on the bottom. I mean, it's just, it's crazy. Yeah. I, it's funny because I think as we, as we dive into this, naturally some people think, oh, you know, here come the vegan activists, vegetarian mm-hmm. activists and whatever. And I have a problem with that. I think firstly, because I mean, what a, what a twisted tendency to, to just dismiss someone or, or an argument rather just because of how inconvenient or, or uncomfortable their behavior is in trying to propagate their stance when what you're defending or what you're trying to to um, have escape criticism is is literally this is what you're describing it's the killing of, yeah. of these beings in in a scale that is unthinkable and, and and inhumane is doesn't do it credit right but yeah at the same time as somebody who is just generally sensitive to to the mentality of forcing people to do things they don't want to do, and, and this goes into my religious field as well, I'm not the world's biggest um, missionary and preacher in the sense that I don't like it in a proselytizing sense where I'm like, I'm trying to convince you of something. I like to present things. I like to invite people to do things, but I don't like the, the minute there's that forcing energy or that mm. compelling sort of energy. And I do feel like I, I resent a lot the way that vegans and vegetarians have presented themselves mm. in the past. I don't think it's done the the strength of the arguments any favors because i do think arguments and then people making the arguments are two completely separate fields that don't need to be mixed like you can have a terrible person saying extremely wise things just as you can have an intelligent person saying dumb things and so Mm. i think each thing has to be measured on its own merit yeah i do think coherence is the best when there's a coherence between the individual Mm. and the message of course that carries you know 
the message further in, in a more effective way. Nonetheless, I do I do resent that, and I want to make it clear that my stance for why I push for vegetarianism, for example, or veganism, at a, at a greater depth, has nothing to do with um, at the core. At the core, it has nothing to do with um, fashion, with trends, with um, even even to an extent a lot of the the ways that it's been joined in with with environmentalist movements and, and Greenpeace movements or whatever. I'm not saying that those things aren't valid or don't play a role in it, but I feel like a lot of these topics are being lumped together into a category of um, extremists and and um, people who are uh, standing for many things that I don't particularly agree with. And so I'm thinking, please just, mm-hmm. just separate and segment. Right. We can have one debate about environmental issues, which mm-hmm. I'm happy to to engage in, but with a different set of, of understandings and, and arguments, a different conversation about veganism or vegetarianism, a different conversation about X, Y, Z, right? I don't like the lumping together of everything mm. and then sort of just criticizing the entire umbrella, just like I don't like the lumping together of vegans as people. We are all very different individual, have our own sort of ways and, and, and tendencies and whatever it may be. And I think that has to be said just to disarm, I think, people who come already projecting X amount of beliefs and, and motivations mm-hmm. and reasons in addition to the ones that I'm I'm presenting and will continue to present here today. Yeah, I I um I completely agree with that. Um, at the same time, I can also understand the passion, I guess, that a lot of people that a lot of these kind of vegan activists. I I I do agree that I think there's a there's a there's a a good way to go about it and a and a not right. or an effective way to go about it and a not so effective way to go about it. Um. But unlike kind of many, let's say, other activism, activist type of things, is that I think, you know, that there the, the really is just a victim at the at the end of all this that's, that's just sad and kind of urgent, you know. And so it's not fe- a victim feeling, in a know? trivial way that someone's just getting a bit sad. It's like, yeah. no, someone's being yeah. tortured and killed. Tortured and, and, and murdered. Yeah. And... Um, yeah, I mean it's 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 crazy. I imagine if if you know in in a world where we've progressed a lot the last century and a half or so, right? Mm-hmm. Many different rights in the West, in North America, especially in the Western countries, Europe, you know, uh, rights for homosexuals, rights for women, you know, all of these things, um, and I really feel like what needs to happen hopefully sooner rather than later is i mean animals don't even have the right to live you know <clears throat> well it's very paradoxical because i remember a case recently I mean, there are clearly animal rights um situations yeah, yeah. In, in, in law etc but it's so circumstantial the, yeah. and weird like there was a case recently um it's an I, interesting topic actually maybe it was a year or two ago um a football player in england um, he was a French player, but he was playing in England at the time. The video was circulating in social media. His brother, I think, posted it, where he was at home with his, you know, friends and family, and he had a cat. Oh, I think I heard. And about he kicked this, yeah. the cat, right? Like it wasn't even like you know he was necessarily trying to hurt it, but almost playfully, you could argue. But he mm. kicked the cat, right? Mm. And it became a scandal. Huge backlash, right? Huge yeah. backlash. He he was fined. He had to go to some corrective sort of lessons about you know <laughs> animal conduct and, and animal rights activists went for him and, and he had to he paid the penalty right and he was suspended by his club wow. and condemned by his football club and everything right. else. And I was thinking, fair enough. Obviously, I'm I don't have a problem with him um, p- facing consequence for having kicked his cat. 
But I'm just thinking, is this world insane? Yeah. Like he kicked his cat. But probably on that same video, on his dinner table, there was some cow or chicken or something mm-hmm. that had just been like hung upside down, tortured, killed, like throat yeah. cut, whatever, whatever, right? Yeah. And there, there's this really, really weird discrepancy when it comes to animal rights. It's like, well, some animals have rights. Yeah. So he, here's the here's the interesting thing as well. Um, one of the uh, one of the main people that I follow online is Earthling Ed or Ed Winters. Shout out to him. He's amazing. Um, and um, uh, he released a book a couple years ago, which I which I bought and and read, and there are there are um laws and things uh for animal rights and well-being in animal agriculture i mean he's from the uk so this is all the uk but the, the uk is actually considered to be one of the most progressive in terms of animal agricultural rights whatever that means but the things like you actually read what the rights of these animals are it's like oh the the pig the mother pig that you know gives birth she's allowed to have you know, three more centimeters than they allow her in a cage, than they allow her in America, or the ch- like. It's it's absurd when you read it. Right. Like the, there's there's um there's guidelines as to how to deal with a pregnant cow. So a cow after she's spent, right? A dairy cow, let's say, after she's she's. She's no longer useful to the dairy industry because she's completely spent. You know, they've, I mean, dairy cows are artificially inseminated against their will. Um, you know, one thing many people actually don't realize, which I, I, didn't, I didn't realize, uh, cows are mammals. They don't just produce milk <laughs> sure, but randomly, they to, right. right? They have to be pregnant and they need a, a calf. And so the, the, the cows are, yeah, are, are inseminated continuously their entire life. Um, the calves are taken away because we want that milk, right? It shouldn't go to the calf. Um, and so sometimes the cow, when they're no longer producing enough milk or, or whatever it might be, will go to the slaughterhouse and they don't realize that it's pregnant. And so they will be butchering the cow and a baby will will come out of the cow that is alive and there's guidelines talking about animal rights and animal whatever laws and things there's specific guidelines of how you deal with that situation which is use a hammer to smash it in the head or if you don't have a hammer just like pick it up and and destroy its skull as any as the best way like that that's That's the best way Mm -hmm. that's what's written right that those are the guidelines right and so it's like okay great uh (laughs) animal rights (laughs) Right. So, yeah, I mean, that's that's a more extreme example. And I, I mean, it's it's horrific, but that's a more extreme example of, of obviously what um, what I was bringing up with the whole cat thing. And I think what it all speaks to, in my opinion, is, is a desensitizing of human um, decency. Mm. Because you speak to, to people, you listen to people who worked in these slaughterhouses. They are messed up people, yeah. man. Like they are severely messed up often as a result of this because, and they tell you it's exactly because of this, is how desensitized you become to acts of violence because of course it's not a fellow human being but here's a living creature that you, you know suffers because they, they, they say it's beyond doubt that they do we see yep. it in their face we see the expressions we see their attempts to yeah, run yeah. away like you see all of it yep. right and we are routinely 
told to get the job done no matter what it takes, mm-hmm. right? And so you see them, how much the trauma they have and how much they fail or struggle to 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 really relate to other people and to just function in society in a in a healthy way because once i think when you devalue life to that extent in your subconscious like i'm not even saying this is necessarily a conscious psychological thing but in your subconscious when you start to devalue life when you start to normalize violence to the extent that you do and the act of killing and the act of doing things against the will of another which is very clearly going on it is it is beyond foolish to think that this would have no knock-on effect on your own psychology, on your own behaviors, on your own tendencies, your own propensity to do certain things, like <clears throat> sorry, like violence, like infringe on the will of another, like you know, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And I think that that is one of the most underrated um, issues or under under considered issues of this entire meat industry. It's that it's the desensitization to life and its inherent mm. value and to, to violence that then, you know, people try to attribute to all sorts of things. Like they'll they'll condemn video games. Mm. You know, they'll say video games are promoting violence. Um <laughs> because you're going around killing people in video games. And I'm you know, I can I can I can respect certain arguments, but you know, I can say that there, there might be some subconscious effect as well. Mm. Fine. Uh but uh surely, surely in the real world, not in the virtual world of a, of a video game, where we're doing the exact same thing just to beings of a different species yeah i mean that's a that's a pretty rough argument and i think one of the things i mean you mentioned um ed winters and i think i've encountered some of his stuff as well i I remember you shared some stuff with me as well and so i think maybe we can what we can do is we can take some of these arguments that are presented um against veganism or vegetarianism or for meat eating and i think just give a perspective on them and before we do that, I'd like to set out the landscape for where we come from, which is Ahimsa. Mm-hmm. So you might have heard the term before, Ahimsa. It's a very popular term. It's um, it's one of the pillars of Dharma or, or a very you know core fundamental ethical principle of Hinduism. And Ahimsa means uh, non-violence or non-war, so to speak. But the, the common understanding people have of it is a very Gandhi-like understanding of it, which is uh, no violence under any circumstances. Like it's an absolute you know, abstinence from, from violent conduct, which is not true. It's not, it's an, it's an, it's an absolute, it's absolutely a distortion of the principle of Ahimsa. First of all, Ahimsa needs to be understood in three different levels, which is that there is physical conduct, there is speech and there is mental conduct. So even on, on the level of thoughts there it is, it is a consideration to be taken into account. So to conduct yourself physically, mentally, and, and vice via speech in a way that causes the least amount of harm necessary to sustain yourself and society at large, okay? What that essentially means is, is that as long as there are circumstances that permit you to not engage in violent conduct and maintain a, what we would call dharmic way of life, that means a, a ethical, moral, righteous society, then that is the intended way that you should conduct yourself. What it essentially means is that as long as you have options, you should be vegetarian or, or vegan mm. yeah, in, in an ideal scenario. Um, but what it does also mean is that it allows for meat eating, given the circumstances. If the circumstances um, are conducive to it, mm-hmm. then yes, you can. And so sometimes people think, oh. Just, just to clarify, be, yeah. uh, and maybe you just can clarify this for me, is yeah. because human life is valued. Right. So there, thank you for bringing that up. I need to, I need to caveat that. So. That's a popular argument that meat eaters make. That saying, "Well, human life right. is more important than animal life, therefore yeah. we can eat them." Right? Yeah, yeah. That that is partially true to our faith and our belief as well. It's not 
because human life is is superior to animal life, you can eat them whenever you want. Yeah, it's however you want. Yeah, because human life is superior to animal life in 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 the terms of spiritual evolution, the evolution of the soul. The soul is said mm. to pass through many beings, experiencing the various states of existence until it reaches human birth. And from human birth, it is the final platform from which you can transcend material entanglement and attain communion with God. That is essentially a belief within, um, let's say, Hindu thought. Um, certainly. A, compatible with the Vaishnava Bhakti traditions, right? And so what that means is is that human life sits at the top of a hierarchy of priority of preservation. Right. So human life should be preserved with greater um, priority than animal life. Yeah. But that's preservation. That's mm-hmm. that's at the highest state of necessity you can imagine, mm-hmm. basically. So my point that I'm making, therefore, is, is that within our thought system, you can kill and eat an animal, mm-hmm if it is your last resort for survival. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so violence in general, for example, self-defense, another human attacks you or an animal attacks you, you can defend yourself. You are permitted to act out violence or even kill the animal in self-defense, mm-hmm. self-preservation. That does not break the principle of ahimsa at all. It really doesn't yep. because ahimsa is the least amount of violence necessary possible, possible in order yeah. to maintain life and righteous life, mm. righteous living, let's put it like this, right? And so therefore, if you take a Totobago, for example, Inuits in Greenland or in Iceland or somewhere in the North Pole. Canada. <laughs> right. And, and, and it's like, well, maybe they can't grow some carrots there. Like maybe there's no soil for them to really do that, for give, example. Give it a few years. <laughs> right, right, right. But, you know, let's just hypothetically, you know, they're, they're living in an igloo and they're literally like living off of fish. Mm-hmm. That is it. Okay? It's a diet of fish morning, mm-hmm. uh, you know, lunch, evening. I would never for one second say, condemn them or say you are not living by the principles of Ahimsa. No, no, those, those are the exact principles of Ahimsa. Absolutely. You live as per the, your means in the minimum, uh, conducting yourself with the minimum amount of violence necessary for your sustenance. Absolutely. I therefore believe that historically there were arguments for people to be meat eaters because of the, the reduced accessibility, difficulty in, in, in agriculture, mm-hmm. the lay of the land, that sort of thing. I understand that. But we're talking in the 21st century, we're talking to societies and, and people um, where it is almost impossible, almost impossible to make the case that it is not an option to be vegetarian or vegan, right? That, that yeah. eating meat is a necessity yeah. on a daily basis, yeah? And so there, I would say that um, that is the crux, that forms the crux of our of our foundational argument, right? It's, it's mm-hmm. an argument of, for, to, ne, to necessity. It's an argument that allows for circumstantial meat eating and violence depending on situations. Mm-hmm. And this is not something that we've conveniently made up. This is the actual pillar, the actual principle, the moral principle that we organize ourselves around in, in Hinduism. Um, having said that, many Hindus don't follow this. So I'm not, you know, propping up Hindus as, as bastions of this um, of this, but rather just propagating Hindu principles, whether Hindus abide to them or not, is up to the, the the morality and quality of those individuals, the coherence of those individuals and their tradition and their and their faith, so to speak. Now, some may say that in Hinduism, in the in the scriptures, there was even instances of hunting or animal eating, etc. And I would say, well, sure, because of circumstance and necessity. And there is another principle as well, which is. You know, we're talking about ideal, permissible, and prohibited behaviors. The ideal is reserved for those who are able to meet those standards. Mm. So for people who have their their stuff together in order so that they're able to actually consciously choose to live the ethical life, the good life, rather than the pleasant. 
but not everybody's at that level. And so even even at lower levels of consciousness where people are more susceptible to these desires and, and carnal things and temptations or whatever else, even that, the scripture has instructions of how to regulate that at least. Like, again, don't be you know, um, excessive, don't, don't be crazy. Like for example, there's no justification whatsoever. Even if there may be justifications for circumstantial meat eating, there would never be circumstance, uh, uh, justifications for the meat industry. Like these, these factories where, mm-hmm. where these animals get bred solely for that purpose that could never find any, uh, let's say ethical, scriptural, cultural justification from, from our, from our standing from Hinduism. So that's just, let's say the foundation philosophically, spiritually speaking of, of why we, we are the way we are and why we also are flexible to certain circumstances. Absolutely. So, okay, maybe I just throw some arguments at you. Let's do it like this. Yeah. Let me, let me just, uh, just, just, Comment, just yeah, point yeah. out one, um, just, 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 just to take it to the extreme and kind of highlight the, the point that you just made also is, um, I just watched this very, uh, powerful, really, amazing movie um it's on netflix you can watch it it's called society of the snow i believe and it's based on a true story uh, from 1972 where a airplane from uruguay was flying over the andes flying to chile i believe um for a match or something like that and their plane crashes um and is ripped in two uh the fuselage is ripped in two and they crash in the middle of the andes um, and it's just a, it's just an absolutely incredible sor- story of human endurance and determination, and they literally survive. I mean, in the middle of the mountains, like there's no life there. It's just snow and rock, and they survive for seventy two days. And how do they survive? They consume uh, the bodies of their deceased. Uh, colleagues colleagues yeah um passengers right um and that's like that's like that's incredibly shocking that's that's literally taking it to the most extreme but in the principles that you just laid down that's actually that's completely permissible oh yeah yeah 100 yeah i've got zero issues with that like i'm taking it to the most extreme right and it's like of course they 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 didn't just day one were like hey let's right let's eat each other paper scissors who's killing who is it, it it was uh is it was incredibly difficult decision for them um 14 of the of of these guys are still alive it's an incredible movie um and just an absolutely insane story like as i was watching i was like how is this even possible um and it, yeah it, it was incredibly right. challenging but that's exactly the point that 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 we're making is that out of necessity for their survival they had to do that um and even there's there's a beautiful scene in the movie where they're like uh, like where all of them agree at one point they say if i die i, I give you permission to consume me like I, i'll g- give my life i give my body so that you can sur- that you all can survive it makes sense yeah and so again within the within the framework that we just laid laid down of ahimsa like there's there's no other possible there there's not there's nothing else to eat and that's completely fine yeah, yeah nothing to condemn yeah. in that i, I don't yeah. condemn it at all at all so just just to take it to the most extreme yeah, example. Yeah, no, no. Thank you for bringing it up. Can. It's a great example. It's a great example. I think that really sort of n- nails the message down. Um, just just to finish off, I think we we've made our points, but I would like to throw a couple of arguments at yeah. you, like just to play devil's advocate. Sure. You know, because we've both had conversations with people. I'm sure mm-hmm. we've we've heard a bunch of things being said. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I've heard to see how you would every uh, argument multiple times. Right. So okay, let's let's take some some basic arguments. I, I can't promise that I'll be as as eloquent uh, and well spoken and as well educated as 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 Ed Winters. Would highly recommend people to go and check out um, his stuff as well. Right. Um, and and also. Because everybody comes at this at a different angle. Every media. But that's comes what I mean. I want to hear from us because angle. we speak at it from this angle specifically to I, our path. I would just say also to those people, like if you have a specific argument that you really think, like, oh well, it's uh, you know, whatever it is, um, it's, oh, but you know, it's it's much healthier to be to eat meat or it's whatever, whatever the whatever argument, if you're watching this, that you think you have, that is the best argument you think you have against being vegetarian or being vegan, um, just go and search that. And just do a little bit of research and, and and check it out, see if it see if it's actually true or, or not. But yeah, sorry, go ahead. No, let's do it differently. Actually, I'll I'll ask you one. I'll play devil's advocate to okay. you, and then you do one to me. Okay, okay. And then we can alternate. All right. Well, until we get see. bored. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> yeah, I think the, the one I've I've heard most often from people is uh, health. They just be like. Mm. Oh, but you know, I I even tried for a while to go vegetarian or to go vegan, but I was having like real like problematic health issues. Mm-hmm. I went to the doctor. The doctor recommended to me to eat meat, and since then, you know, my health is doing better. Mm-hmm. So, you know, love to, but can't. Yeah, yeah. The there's an argument that oh, vegans don't get enough protein and et cetera, et cetera. The thing is that people have to understand also the I think there's a well, there there's a lot of. Um, there's a lot of ideas about what it means to be vegan or not vegan. And one of the things is, oh, they're, they're weak, they're malnourished, et cetera, et cetera. You can be, you can have a terrible diet and be eating meat, right? Uh, you can have a terrible diet and be vegan. Um, generally, it's advised uh, by specific health organizations also. I mean, especially, I know a lot about the UK because that's- Right, because of Ed Winters. And, uh, yeah. the, whatever it's called there, they, what, what's the- What's the organization there? They, they they recommend that generally people from the United Kingdom are supplementing vitamin D, for example, whether you're eating meat or not eating meat. And so you can be, you know, it's just it's just a, a process of educating yourself. Um, and you can 100% get, I mean, the these organizations um, from the United States and the UK have said uh, it is 100% viable to be vegan at all stages of life, including pregnancy. They've said this. This is just well, a fact. Clear, yeah, sure. Um, and I mean, we're living examples. Like, it, it's, a, it's a funny thing when people say, oh, you can't actually you know, survive or you're, you're not gonna, you can't be healthy on a vegan diet. I was like, well, there's so many examples of people that are alive and healthy, um, including athletes, right? Including a lot of athletes. One of the you know strongest men in Germany is vegan. There's there's a, a cross country runner who has like just insane records he he like runs through like mountains and forests i can't remember his name um yeah he just has like he, who's vegan uh and all of these things and so yeah again you you can be you can be an unhealthy vegan you can be an unhealthy meat eater right i think to give the devil his due i think there is sometimes truth to the point of it. it's it's sometimes less convenient mm-hmm. like it's a little bit more difficult to get certain things to to balance out that diet in a complete way mm-hmm. But but sure, I mean a little a little more inconvenience is is nothing compared to the inconvenience of the animals and what they're going through, yeah. right? And so I think those things have to be weighed up in a, in a on a scale. And for example, um, with when it comes to athletes, it's completely doable, as you said. But I, I don't begrudge them that it's perhaps easier to get to a certain physique with meat eating. Mm-hmm. But again, my point is convenience. You're just bringing me the argument of convenience. Yeah. 
Um, and you have to measure that up against the inconvenience to the animals and to your own morality. Yeah. Right? Do you want to throw something back at me? Um, yeah. Are you, you, you're prepared? You've, you've done your Let's, research? Well, okay. I, I have my moral compass. Let's go with that. <laughs> okay. Um, you know, man, there's, there's so many. Let's go with, uh, you know, we've, we've always done it. Traditionally, Tradition, you know, right. uh, historically, mm-hmm. human beings have always eaten meat. Mm-hmm. You know, our 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 teeth are are made for eating meat, um, and we're supposed to eat meat. And right. we've always had e- e- eaten meat, and that's one of the reasons we developed in our in such a way. No, 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 no. Yeah, um, I think to give again the devil his due, even if there are vestiges of uh, our capacity to eat meat in our physiognomy, in our teeth, in our stomach, etc. Um, if you take it and compare it with animals that are actually 100% meat eaters or designed to eat meat, I mean, the comparisons there will be stark. Mm-hmm. So A, in the in the teeth, uh, B, in the uh, the actual acid in your stomach and your ability to digest and process that meat. For example, isn't it amazing that we have to cook our meat? Yeah. Uh, otherwise, we're going to get sick as hell. And uh, every creature in the wild doesn't know how to start a fire and, and, you know, put that saucepan out there and cook their food. They can just eat it and they're fine, right? So there's a pretty you know big distinction, um, the size of the intestine, etc. So I mean, physiologically and biologically, I would I would not concede that we are so you know um, ideally constructed for meat eating. I think rather we're not. Um, but going back to the tradition point more, and that mm-hmm. historically we've done so, and it's contributed to us being here where we are today. I think um, there's two fallacies there. One, just because a series of behaviors. Um, in their totality led to something that we now value and deem as being good, which is our lives and society, doesn't mean that individually every behavior um, was a positive contributor to that or a necessity to that. So it's like the fallacy of composition. It's just because one thing is good doesn't mean all things in the category are good, right? Because if that were true, then all the behaviors of our ancestors should be taken on board today. Oh, they ate meat, so we should too. Well, they also pillaged and raped and killed just arbitrarily mm-hmm. right uh, should we be doing that is that mor- is that moral is that what we right. uh we ought to be organizing our lives around i would say no second the argument i made before necessity i can completely understand that our ancestors perhaps had a greater necessity to eat meat because of uh, scarcity of alternatives i have no problem with that and i'm not going to condemn them for it i'm really not you know societies were to some extent more primitive we were figuring things out about ourselves about what functions what doesn't function etc i have no issues with this this is not a a a historical bashing let's put it like this but we have to we we are speaking to people of our generation speaking in this world and so i would say that the the level of scarcity and difficulty that they had is completely not reflected in our society today and so i don't think there's any issue in evolving from that the the majority of uh western countries are not going out and hunting for their their meals every day is literally you're right. just walking down the street you're walking in the in the grocery store and you're making a choice it's absolutely sim- it's as simple as that absolutely you go to a restaurant you go to a grocery store you are choosing what you consume and i think again to give his devil his due they might say well the, ve- the vegan and vegetarian options are actually more expensive mm. and i would say uh true like marginally so on average but yes true and I think that that's a, that's a question of a symptom of where we are now, not a symptom of where we could be, because again, it's supply and demand. And it's just basic economics. If you, if you stop um, demanding as much of the meat industry, they cannot produce in the bulk that they do because they're not going to be selling as much. The prices will increase. Other prices will go down as the demand shifts. So this is all just basic economics. Like economics. This is not something that is embedded 
uh, into the the processes and yeah. the actual products. It's not that one is cheaper or more it, expensive. It's actually generally the the more expensive uh, vegan alternatives to me generally tend to be more expensive. Like, let's say a vegan chicken alternative is going to be more expensive than just chicken. Um, but if generally like rice and legumes and things like this, uh, they're ju- they're they're not. They're actually not more expensive. Right. Um, I, I think the the difficulty for a lot of people also is, is just kind of making the change is that transitory uh i didn't say that right transitory, transitory tra- sorry transitory time like so if so if you're there you're eating meat you're like you know what i'm really convinced i'm really going to try and be vegan that period of time where you get comfortable with that change is the quote unquote the most difficult time but after it's like i mean in India, like, or there, there, I mean, I've lived at the ashram, like there, there's so many dishes and things, like there's so many, people have this misconception that being vegan, oh, I'm just eating salad every day or whatever. Right, it's right, like, right. there's so many dishes I mean, that I mean, you can make, right? Look, some, at the end of the day, even if it was just eating salad, you'd still look at them and being like, right. and what? <laughs> and what's your reasoning here? Yeah, it's yeah. just, again, pleasure to that extent, but yeah. okay, but that's not the reality, yeah. so, okay. No, I mean, pe- people really, I mean, people people need to understand it's it's oh, it's convenient uh it's easier no 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 it's like i i i've said before ignorance is bliss for you right you can try and remain ignorant which i did before yeah. i met Guruji, before i was vegetarian oh, i don't want to see those videos i don't want to see that i don't mm-hmm. want to see that mm-hmm. ignorance might be bliss for you but it's hell on earth for that animal that you're paying sure, sure, sure. for it to be well, let me, be, let, me, uh, let, me, let me put a different challenge to you then. And, and this is one that has, has been put to me and I think it's not a bad one. Two, two, two possibilities. We'll, we'll do a two for one. So one is what about people who hunt their own food, right? So they say, look, look, I'm not participating. Mm-hmm. I hate that industry. I think it's terrible. I think it's massively cruel. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I hunt. I personally fish or I hunt or whatever. And I do so. Um, or also just to make another point to that people often say oh well nature is much more brutal than human beings especially if they're hunting their own food like oh i'm doing a i'm ge- i'm doing a mercy on these animals by killing them especially hunters will say this like yeah. because you know have you seen like uh whatever have you seen a a, a tiger rip apart like it's it's very brutal nature is very brutal so if we're can, actually killing them in a more humane way if i can give a like a very basic pushback to this we're in germany here in in uh, hessen and i see deer all the time in the florist, right. I have never seen a tiger right. roaming these florists, forests ready to attack yeah, yeah. those deer, but I have seen hunters. Yeah. Anyway, but that's that's a, besides the point. So people who hunt, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. So they'll make that argument and we do it in a very humane way. We kill them with a minimum amount of suffering. They're not being bred for this. There's mm-hmm. nothing of that type. Um, we respect them. We respect the animal. We thank the animal for you know giving its life for us and we do this. Like that's one thing. What would you say to that? Um, well, the main point i guess is that it's it's not actually sustainable you can't scale that right uh you can't have eight billion people just going out and and hunting hunting for their food right uh so it's a very kind of fringe case and it's generally you know you're it's still unnecessary right it's still very much unnecessary at the same time uh i give it less importance like it's like mm-hmm. don't I, I wouldn't do that don't do that uh it's not necessary you're still taking the life of like if the argument is oh well nature is much more brutal it's like fine like 
that's nature's business, you know. Um, uh, but it's still, it's a less, let's say, important topic than you just have the choice in the supermarket, right? Um, I still wouldn't do it. And it's not, it's, you can't do it on, on scale. Right? Well, I think, I think the scaling argument is, is, is fantastic because it's really a case of if you are really, if you're a hunter, for example, and you yeah. say that, oh, I'm really against the meat industry and all of that stuff, yeah. then to get that to go away, you'd still have to campaign against it. You'd still have to right. proactively work against that industry. And so therefore, for all intents and purposes, you'd be siding with the only industry that can scale and replace that industry, which would be the vegetarian vegan industry, mm. right? Because realistically, if the people stop eating that, they've got to eat something else. And so you would be advocating for the same, let's say, general direction that would be needed to eradicate that kind of behavior. Of course, you would still be personally eating meat and hunting, whatever else. But like you said, it's a, it's a, it's not a scalable thing. It's a very much a, a small scale thing, especially at the, in those moral, ethical conditions that yeah. the hunter describes. And so I, I agree with you. I think. I mean, you're still de depriving a living being. Well, yeah, we've, from we've mentioned life, that. You know? You're still desensitized to killing yeah. someone unnecessarily, as your point yeah. was made. I think there's another consideration that we have to put into, which mm. is the spiritual one. Guruji has spoken before also about look. Mm -mm. The world is energy, everything is energy and vibration. And when you are consuming another being, you're not just consuming the flesh, you know, as if it's a neutral thing. There are energies contained in it. There, there, is, there is subtle things in that, um, especially if the animal died in fear and anger and whatever else, that also affects what you're consuming on an energetic level. Now you may believe in this or you may think that's, you know, some airy fairy woo woo stuff. Fair enough, we've presented plenty of grounded arguments for it, but I would be remiss if I wouldn't add these uh, elements to it as well, because I think it's a very important consideration. Karmically, energetically, spiritually speaking, there is an unnatural, let's say, uh, process taking place there that is detrimental to your own, um, let's say- Being. Being, your own energetic body mm -hmm. and, and, and all of that, and, and it's not the same. And if someone were to argue, what about plants? Yeah, but plants also feel pain. I've I've had this argument presented to myself to to myself by somebody that I respect very much, who is a scientist. But that's which bizarre. was a little bit. It was very bizarre. I literally said I was like, I mean, plants don't have a central nervous system. They don't have a brain. That's what I said. They don't have I, pain receptors. I said you're you're a scientist. Like, right. what are you talking about? Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, but the, the the trees and everything have uh, there's an energy. Sure, there is. There's the the there's a. Uh, there's a life force there, but it's like it's quite automated in a sense. It's not. Yeah, it's not there's conscious. no nervous. There's no nervous system. There's no. It's not conscious in the same way that um, organic life is. I think we have to look at this it from the perspective. Of, well, yeah, I, I I agree. I think. I mean, if someone takes a uh, a branch and snaps it, yeah, and then snaps the neck of a chicken, yeah, if they think that they've just done the same thing, yeah, 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 like. Yeah. Really? Yeah. <laughs> I think your own psychology tells you that you're not doing the same thing and nobody needs to make an argument for it. The, there have been studies I'll say that, uh, you know, oh, they've done tests and things where they can measure some form of whatever electrical pulses or whatever, where when you cut something, then there's a reaction in the plant. Okay, right. fine. I mean, it's, it's... No, but reactions, as my understanding, is like, for example, you have those fly trap yeah. the plants. You know, yeah, it's like yeah, something yeah. goes on it. There's an impulsive reaction yeah. because of the weight that is there, not because of what is in there. Yeah. So for example, if you put a coin in there, it's still it going to close yeah, and yeah. try to eat it. Yeah. Right. But it's a coin. It's not nutritious. It's just a it's just a automatic impulsive yeah. response. It's not something actionable and conscious. And you, you put a, a coin or a cigarette butt in the mouth of a, of an animal, 
a dog or whatever, they're going to spit it out. They're mm. going to, re- this tastes terrible. Like it's mm. not, see, it's a conscious yeah, choice. You yeah. see what I'm saying? And so yeah. I think there's, there's a huge difference there. And anyway, our principle is minimum amount. Yeah. Now, something that I've heard before being said to me, because we're saying about doing the minimum amount of damage and the plant pants, the plants, sorry, feel less than, than animals, if at all, mm. therefore it's fine. Legitimately, someone turned to me once and they said, what about a disabled child? Like, yeah. they feel less, they're less abled yeah. body than you are. Yeah. They're more animal-like yeah, yeah. in a sense. Where's the line? Can't you kill which, them and eat them? And I'm which like- Which point do you draw the line? Bizarre argument, but uh, I would say no, you can't for two reasons. Uh, a, no necessity whatsoever, yes. Mm-hmm. And any scenario where you'd present me an absolute necessity, I'd be like, well, again, that is permissible, back into my model. Uh, but two, category, category of being. We're talking about a human being. And I already said mm-hmm. before that there is, spiritually speaking, uh, a reason for why the human being stands to a higher degree of, of pres- uh, preservation and protection than another. And it's because that soul has gone through a journey to achieve that body and it shouldn't be dismissed arbitrarily. But again, um, I think it's a very uninformed argument. I mean, the reason why we're even going through these arguments, I just want to make it clear. Um, it's not that um, we're trying to you know, just flaunt knowledge or whatever it's that many of you perhaps have heard these arguments and you don't know how to counter them and so we're just giving you some samples i don't think we need to go deeper into this i think it's more you've given resources where they can go and learn more um with earthling ed ed winters his book i think is very helpful uh guruji often speaks on the topic i would my advice would be focus less on health benefits or health issues focus more on uh, moral issues on uh, necessity issues on um psychological let's say issues i think it's more profound and i think it speaks more to people's self-identification because most people see themselves as being good people moral mm-hmm. people and so that's going to be the thing that that hits home more yeah, um, i think yeah. that the thing about this this conversation is that people know <laughs> yeah people know what's right yeah, and what's wrong right. i think you know? you're right and because because you know i've seen so many of these arguments presented and kind of excuses and things and reasons why I can't be or I shouldn't be or this, you know, all these things. There's just uh, some of them that we went through and there's many others. But at the end of the day, it it comes down to, I think, for the majority of people, and this is the thing that people don't want to admit, is that, is because, and it's a hard thing. That's why I say, I think I think it takes a, a huge amount of, of, of humility and courage to some degree to say, you know what? There is actually no justification because it comes down to Actually, I just value the taste more than I value the life. The taste and the convenience. I'll, I'll add convenience to it. Okay. For just yeah. for the health yeah, part, yeah. people, you know. Um, and that's an incredibly uncomfortable thing yeah. to admit to yourself. And I get that. I get that. I was like that as well. I didn't like, but again, the, the the issue is is that there are there are victims with these choices you know with Agreed. these choices that we make and i and i think it's such a it's actually just it's such a one of the easiest things that we can do choices that we can make in the world that that genuinely has such a a, a positive impact on the world you know and will directly diminish just the overall quota of suffering Agreed. that exists on this planet, you know? Agreed. And, and and that makes me think now people sometimes say, oh, but, you know, to to farm 
vegetarian or vegan alternatives yeah. it causes a lot of killing and, and death as well and right. suffering to locusts and, and bugs and different things like mm-hmm, this mm-hmm. Um, the problem there is is that the majority of the extent to which those things for example soya farms and, and mm-hmm. all this are created majority of it is to feed yeah. animal yeah, I'm, gl- I'm glad you brought this up actually because I was just uh, slaughter I, animals right? I was just um, I just looked this up just before this mm-hmm. this this conversation and yeah, it's something like 85 or 7% of all soy uh, farms, 85% of all soy farms. It was 80 something, I saw something as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. is grown for animal agricultural feed. Right. So if that's your <laughs> if that's argument- that's reduced, if the other's that's your, reduced too. Yeah, if that's your argument, then right, right. yeah. No, I agree with you. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Uh, and I, I also it's, uh, I, let, me, let me just pick this up quick because I wrote it down. I just want to get the numbers right. Um, yeah. So, and also on on the planet, eighty three percent of all agricultural land is for animal products. Seventeen percent of all agricultural land is for plants for humans, right? And then, yeah, eighty five percent of the soy that is grown is fed to livestock animals. So. Yeah, yeah. I don't think uh, the numbers speak for it's, themselves. I it's, think it's, it's again I, when you do a little bit of research, when you mm-hmm. look into these things a little bit, the argument falls falls apart pretty. Well, I, pretty I agree with you in the sense that it is one of the the easiest things we can do that brings in that positive. Yeah, and I think that's a that's a good conclusion. And not only again, yeah, like like you were you were saying as well, not only in yourself, but or sorry, not not only in the world, but right. but in yourself. Yeah, because there is whether whether you believe it or not there are karmic consequences for consuming such things and it and it and it's ironic that we live in a world where you know so many of us want peace and prosperity you know but yet we're consuming things that do it's not. It's hedonism. It's hedonism. In the end of the day, they say that, but they act differently. They act in the pursuit of pleasure. That's why I said the mm. pleasure industry is the most lucrative industry in the world in all the forms it takes. And this is just one more of them. Yeah. And I think the answer to that is therefore a correction at a core human level of that. And this is why a lot of people who are doing work in, in public speaking, in lecturing, in, in this, in all the different fields, I respect them all and I, and I back them all because as long as we can get people to understand the moral precepts of Ahimsa, as well as you can get people to understand that it is in living the good life that you will receive a far more profound pleasure than living in the pleasurable life, the pleasant life, in a sense. When people start to really take that on and and take the responsibility and the inconvenience and all that comes with it, Mm. they will will reap the benefits of it. Society as as a whole will Mm. make the real leap that it should and ideally would make. Um, And I think that's therefore what needs to be really focused on this is the crux of it it's it's moving people away from hedonistic pleasure-seeking nonsense that that ends up killing your your character your morality and and the foundation of all that is good so that you can actually uh, rob yourself of of who you could and should be and i think that's only that's only discovered when you um when you try your best to live as close to that ideal as you possibly can Mm. Do your best. Like no exactly. one's hundred percent perfect, yeah. but I think that I think that's the that that's the message really that I think you and I both want to want to just put across, which is we just try our best, you know. We do as we do as good as we can, and like I said, I think pe- pe- people know what that is. But it's like okay, you need you need to convince yourself. So just go and do the research, 
figure out if it, if it's in line with your with your ethics and your morality. And if it's not, try and make a change and try try and do your best. I think that's a great sentiment. I'm happy to end it there. Sure. It was a great conversation. Thank yes. you very much. I look forward to to more in the future. Thank you very much, Lonnie. Jagerdiff. Jagerdiff.